This program is presented by the MCTV Network, a service of the City of Midland, Michigan. This presentation coincides with programming on Midland Government Television, covering government affairs in the City of Midland. Good evening and welcome to the regular meeting of the Midland City Planning Commission for Tuesday, January 22nd. This meeting is called to order. Please rise for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Mr. Marshall, will you call roll? Yes. Nasik. Here. Kobul. Here. Mayville. Here. Kohlinger. Here. Bain. Here. And Hein. Here. We have a quorum, and so correct. we'll proceed. Uh, next item on the agenda is approval of the minutes for from the meeting from of December 11th. Mr. Bain. Yeah, one uh, uh, change that I mentioned in the call, uh, my comments related to the uh, uh, privacy of the wooded area around the uh, uh, shelter house, not safety in general. Gotcha. Okay. And actually, Chairman, that would be minutes of January 8th. As January 8th? December 11th. Okay. Yes. When we last met two weeks ago. Oh, that's right. So that is an error on our agenda, but um, the minutes that were transmitted out um, were for the 8th. Were, the, and were for the 8th. Sounds like just the one. Yes, they were. Okay. All right. We've had two meetings in a row. This is unheard. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> I right. move to approve the meetings from January 8th. With the changes involved? Yes. Okay. Second. All those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed by the same sign? The minutes are approved. Next item on our agenda is a public hearing. We have two of them this evening. And the first one is zoning petition 622 initiated by Doneka Group. It's to rezone property at 4705 Bay City Road from regional commercial to industrial A. And uh, Nicole will give the uh, presentation for the staff. And as she's doing that, we'll just quickly go over the, our routine that we will go through is that following Nicole's presentation, we'll open the meeting to the public. The petitioner will be invited to make comments if they f so feel if they feel they need to. We'll ask for public comments in support, public comments in opposition, and if there should be a need to, we can, we'll ask the petitioner to come forward and make final comments. We will then close the public hearing and the, count, and the commission will be, go into uh, deliberation. Okay, Nicole? Commissioner Hying mentioned this is zoning petition number 622 from the Donica group and um, looking to rezone that property a portion of it from uh, regional commercial to industrial a presently um, we talked about the zoning the area looking to be rezoned is actually a portion of that property the entire property is 28.13 acres the portion we're looking or they are looking to rezone is about 21 acres 
you'll see that reflected in the zoning maps here where the um, we mentioned the drive-in a little bit earlier you can see it in the back there to throw in a little bit of nostalgia but this is um, the property located at 4705 Bay City Road bordered to the east by Rockwell Drive the north by the railroad tracks and to the south by some of those single-family residential homes that are um, still there but then um, Bay City Road to the south and to the west there's some vacant land existing there to zoom in just a little bit further you can see those um, the boundaries of that property at 4705 Bay City, Bay City Road. Um, current zoning, as we spoke about, regional commercial, surrounded by multifamily residential to the west, um, an existing industrial A zone to the north, and then regional commercial for that property and the balance to the south and the east. And across the way, Fast Ice Drive, just to orient you a little bit more, we've seen a little bit of development there that I'll talk about a bit later. This rezoning request is consistent with the master plan future land use map. Um, you see that portion of the property um, hatched there as um, industrial A and um, to the south and the east, regional commercial um, or commercial zoning still maintained in the future land use. And then just to talk a little bit about the district intent in terms of the industrial A zoning district, um, it's really to permit the use of land and buildings and structures for the manufacturing, processing, fabricating, compounding, treatment, packaging, and or assembly of materials or goods, warehousing or bulk storage of goods and related accessory uses. Um, all of that is in line with what the property owner is proposing. I think we've all seen this before, but just to kind of go through it all, um, related accessory uses, um, research design, prototype development related to the industrial operations that are the primary use, um, sale of goods resulting from such operations, and any work of administration and or accounting in connection with the industrial operations. So just so you get a full picture of what the industrial age district mm -hmm. uh, would, should be. To compare uses going from the regional commercial to industrial A, we just talked about those permitted uses in the industrial A district. Regional commercial is characterized more by goods, um, goods and services, retail, finance, um, entertainment, those kinds of things. So that is the movement that we're seeing here is to more of this manufacturing type of use. Mm -hmm. And to go over our required review criteria, uh, the first question that we ask when we're evaluating uh, rezoning requests is the proposed amendment consistent with the city's master plan and as we just stated um, through that map that we displayed yes the future land use map of the city's master plan identifies the property as light industrial after its most recent update in mid 2018. the second will the amendment be in accordance with the intent and purpose of zoning of the zoning ordinance Yes, in our opinion as staff, um, given the update to the master plan, the proposed rezoning does promote the intent, as I described, um, of the zoning code through reclassification, reclassification of the parcel as stated. It's a long way of just simply saying yes. Have the conditions changed since the zoning ordinance was adopted that justifies the amendment? Yes, the recent update to the city's master plan reflects the future land use designation of light industrial or industrial A. Um, some of the recent developments, just to kind of characterize what, is, what else is happening in the area. Um, we have seen a bit of development along Fast Ice Drive, which is to the south, um, just on the other side of Bay City Road. And those are a few of the businesses that have been, um, 
or organizations that have taken up residence there, gastroenterology and hepatology, community mental health, Midland Civic Arena, Integrated for America, which I wasn't familiar with until this zoning petition, and of course the Midland County Jail is located there as well. Will the amendment grant special privileges? No, with the update to the city's master plan, the area is now planned for light industrial development, which is what is being proposed here. Um, and all of that is in line with the light industrial designation. Um, will the amendment result in unlawful exclusionary zoning? No, the amendment uh, would result in extension of a standard zoning district that's located frequently within the city limits and very close by um, the, this proposed um, development. And will the amendment set an inappropriate precedent? No, the zoning petition is supported by the city's updated master plan and specifically its future land use map. And is the proposed zoning consistent with the zoning classification of surrounding land? And I think as we, um, I described in the, when the map was up there, to the north, south, and east, the neighboring parcels are zoned compatibly with the petitioning parcel as industrial A um, and regional commercial to the east and south. The mix of the zoning districts there between regional commercial and industrial A are compatible types of land uses. Now to the west and southwest is a little bit different in that the adjacent parcels are zoned for RB or multifamily residential. Um, generally, we feel that residential and industrial uses are not viewed as compatible. Although um, when considering what is happening in the area with future land use and development trends, we feel like these two could be compatible in that area. Mm -hmm. Is the proposed zoning consistent with the future land use designation of the surrounding land in the city master plan? And yes, as we described just a bit earlier, um, regional commercial and um, industrial air, light industrial um, around there, we feel like those are, are consistent with the city's master plan. Could all the requirements in the proposed zoning classification be complied with on the subject parcel? And yes, um, with respect to setbacks and those sorts of things, the subject parcel could meet all of the requirements of the industrial A zoning district. Is the proposed zoning consistent with the trends in land development in the general vicinity of the property in question? Yes, as I mentioned before, there has been some development to the south along Fast Ice Drive, which is consistent with the zoning set forth in the master plan. Aside from those developments, not a whole lot has taken uh, place in the immediate area. Um, light industrial development of this area is seen as consistent with um, the trends in development as well as the city's master plan. We have not received any public comments ahead of the public hearing, positive or in the negative. And staff is recommending approval based on these following three things. The proposed zoning amendment is in line with the city's master plan and its future land use map. The zoning amendment would result in an IA industrial A zoning district that will connect to the existing industrial A zone zoning area to the north of the subject parcel. And the proposed zoning will facilitate development that is compatible with the existing land uses and vacant land that surround the property. So with that, um, as we're holding public hearing just now, you do have the opportunity to waive the rights of procedure and uh, make a vote on that tonight. If that were to happen, we would make that recommendation and that would go to the city council for public hearing, um, setting the public hearing on the 28th and then holding the public hearing on February the 4th. Questions? Sure. Hi, just a clerical thing, but um, on the staff report, under the area, the zoning says existing is IA industrial and proposed as RC, but then 
Yeah, then just in the report, just probably just a correction on that anyway. Okay, absolutely. So. Commissioner Bain? Now, light industrial maps to both the, what is it, LMCR and IA, is that correct? In terms of how the future land use map maps against the zoning? I don't have an answer to that question. I could chime in on yes. that. Yeah. That's correct. So we have applied both industrial A as well as the LCMR, limited commercial manufacturing and research to, um, yeah. and, to and, the light industrial classification. And my recollection is about a year ago we had uh, you know, a, a, a zoning change around that fast ice area, and there was lots of the lab stuff in that area, but uh, there were some objections to actually having IA because it allowed external, you know, outside industrial operations. Is that correct? So, if I recall, there was quite a bit of discussion of Arlington Manor and yeah. the um, uh, mobile home park that exists across the street in close proximity. Mm -hmm. And and you're right, there was some concern about um, <clears throat> exterior uses and uh, um, and also um, uses that were permitted within IA Industrial. Um, one of the things to consider with this one compared to that one is yeah. is the um, the likelihood of the long term existence right. of Arlington Manor and just the extent of the residential. Um, development mm -hmm. that's there as opposed to this which right. has seen quite a bit of removal of single-family homes on Bay City Road and and certainly that's the the planning and zoning that's heading in that direction now as I recall also the difference between IA and IB has to do with uh, you know access to extensive transportation facilities in particular rail that's correct. And so would changing this to IA preclude use of the rail spur then that goes in behind it or not? So it's not necessarily that IA wouldn't allow for connection to some of those transportation no. methods. It's, it's more about the intensity of the uses that are, are allowed. And usually you see much more heavy industries. Right. Um, and certainly what's permitted in IB is, is on the heavier extent. Um, and usually they have use of rail a little bit more than lighter uses, right. but um, but with this change they would still um, that wouldn't could preclude them from having rail access. Now that is a that rail spur isn't a Dow rail spur that's uh, owned by the railroad, and conceivably that's, they could uh, you know make arrangements with the railway to uh, to allow for yeah that would be up for to that. the property owner too. Okay, just, just okay. I just for that want clarification on those points for now. Yes. And just to um, restate, I guess, there was no comments from neighbors at all, including the residential to the south. We and have not received anything ahead of this meeting. Okay. Because I see the campground to the uh, east as well. So depending yes. upon what's put in there, that's like right up against it, except for the uh, roadway in between. So sure. uh, since there was no comments, that's, I won't go any further with those. Yes. Um, you may have answered this already at the beginning of your presentation. Um, so you said there's the balance of the property, because I'm just looking at 4705 Bay City Road as the address. Sure. And there's no frontage on Bay City Road. So can you just help me? <laughs> sure. Let me go back to that map. Yes. Because I think you answered this, but I, I missed it. No, I don't think I was going to ask the same okay. question. <laughs> We're getting there. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> sure. 
So um, the portion of the property that's being rezoned is what you show in the purple color. Yep. There is frontage on Bay City Road, although very small, um, that comes kind of directly south from the property. So you actually use your cursor. I think you'll... Oh, yeah. Cursor. Here we go. It's right here. That part. Okay. This is the oh, okay. property there. And I think there's another one right Oh, okay. Here. I'm seeing that. There are oh, there's two of them. Ones. I think so. I think if I okay. remember correctly, right. there are two um, access points onto Bay City Road. Is that how he got in and out of the drive? Was off Bay City or was it off Rockwell? I think it was actually off of Rockwell. Okay, thanks. Okay. And, and just a further clarification, this property does have frontage or road access availability to Rockwell also, correct? It does, I believe. Okay. All right. Any other questions? Thank you, Nicole. We will open up for, uh, to the public, and if the petitioner would step forward, there's a blue mat, please step on the blue mat, name and address. Hi, my name is Rebecca Cox, and I'm the petitioner for this. And um, our address is 712 Sterling Drive in Midland here. Okay. So the We've, we've talked a little bit about, you've asked to rezone part of the land, but not the rest of it not. Are you planning to, what happens to those two legs of your property that, that isn't going to be rezoned? Those are mainly just going to be entryways in and out. Okay. So that we won't need to do any type of, of um, activity that would need um, to be rezoned. Okay. Okay. Any other questions? Any other comments you'd like to make to the commission? Well, I'd just like to express my appreciation for the consideration here. Um, the Savant Group is, is um, what we'd like to put onto that land, and they've been in business since 1969. And um, since 2012, when my husband and I um, bought the companies from my parents, um, it, they've seen um, growth. Um, they've doubled their, the size of their employees, employees doubled revenue. Um, we've just flat out run out of space on the land we're on, and we'd like to continue growing in Midland. We're really proud to be part of the community and like to continue to contribute good things. Mm -hmm. Any questions? I, I have a question. Oh. It may not yeah. be for the petitioner, <coughs> but uh, just comes to mind because the question you ask about the uh, frontage that goes on to Bay City Road is potential entrances into that property. Uh, does the uh, commercial designation for zoning uh, exclude anything as far as entrance of trucks or anything that would be different from an IA zoning that they may require it, for it, IA? It would not, no. Whether it's IA or industrial or it's commercial um, would be just a commercial driveway is how it's referred to under ordinance. And so you would, there would be allowance for commercial driveways onto Bay City Road where they had frontage. Um, other part, other uses that could go within that area could include maybe stormwater retention basins or things that are otherwise permitted in regional commercial, um, but it wouldn't allow for manufacturing or processing, um, which would be allowed in the IA. So you could, in between near those homes that are on Bay City Road, you could go over the commercial property with trucks that carried chemicals and things that could potentially be used in IA? You would, you would have, um, similar to traffic that goes up and down Bay City Road or Rockwell, currently you could have a driveway access back into the property. Um, okay. That would have vehicles and, 
and potential trucks. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the zoning classification of commercial would allow for. It would. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Any other questions? Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. We will now open the uh, the meeting to public comments in support of the petition. Good evening. Good evening. I'm Tony Stamas, 2704 Walden Woods Court here in Midland. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman, members of the former members of the Planning Commission. I <laughs> uh, appreciate the opportunity to be with you. It wasn't too long ago I was sitting on the other side there. Um, I am the president and CEO of the Midland Business Alliance. And uh, on behalf of our organization, I wanted, I'm pleased to be with you tonight to support the Savant Group in this proposal. You know, we're fortunate in Midland to have a lot of successful industries making investments, helping grow in our employment. And this really represents another milestone in Savant's history of uh, global success in innovating, manufacturing, testing products. Um, they continue to diversify our local economy. And uh, as uh, Rebecca spoke, uh, you know, in terms of the growth that we've seen here, and this really uh, will help, uh, help them to continue to grow. So uh, they're a leading part of our high-tech community. Uh, this is an, an exciting opportunity. So we've, uh, Amy Roten here, a director of uh, economic development, um, has been working with them and uh, we, we've been pleased to partner in this exciting project and we would encourage uh, your favorable support of this pr proposal. I welcome any questions you might have. Questions? Yes. Yeah, why uh, IA rather than, uh, you know, the light manufacturing lab and research? I mean, the diff main difference would be outside operations. Is that envisioned or? Well, I think, you know, I, I think right now as they're looking at it, you know, you, they could probably speak to that more directly. Okay. But I think, you know, looking at in terms of their operations and, um, you know, I, I think that was the best fit. And as, as we kind of saw in the mm -hmm. early proposals, certainly fits with the future land use plan. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I, think, I think it was just consistent with that. Good, thank, thank you. Thank you very much. Any other comments and support? <coughs> Common, comments from the public in opposition? Seeing none, I think we've, uh, we've exhausted the, the, uh, the public for, at this point. We're going to close this public meeting and we'll go into deliberation. I'd like to move we waive the rules and consider this tonight. Second. All those in favor say aye. Aye. Opposed by the same sign? Okay, we will do so. Any comments before we uh, make a motion? I think it uh, aligns with the future land use map. Um, uh, I, think, I think the zoning fits what they're proposing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think part, of, part of the discussion that we had at, a number of months ago, looking at various yeah. pieces of land or properties within the city, and how do we how do we foster a development uh, that's reasonable and fits with the surrounding areas? And I think this fits yeah. well. So it aligns with the plan. Mm -hmm. There's right. been any specific objections, you know, from the public or adjacent landowners? I might be a little softer than I am now, but I'm supportive of it. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. That's why I asked those questions. I'm with uh, James on this. And, I was wondering if there were any uh, public comments, and public had a chance to comment on the future land use map changes as well, and uh, there were none then that I recall, and none this time. So, right. I'm inclined to support this. Okay, I'm looking for a motion. I move that we uh, 
approve zoning petition number 622 and I don't recall were there any contingencies? No contingencies. No contingencies, okay. I'll second. So we have a move and a second. Would you please call a vote? All right. Bain. Yes. Kullinger. Yes. Mayville. Yes. Coble. Uh, yes. Panasic. Yes. And Hein. Yes. That motion is approved. Very good. Okay. Thank you. All right. The next <coughs> item on the public hearing list is a is a capital improvement plans for 2019 and to 2025. <laughs> Mr. Marshall, you will speak first, I believe. Right. So thank you, Chairman. And um, actually, if I can have you mute the presentation, I'll queue up our um, our next uh, presentation for you. But uh, the next public hearing that we'll have this evening is on the city's capital improvement plan, and um, you'll um, you'll see that there was um, quite a bit of discussion within the capital improvement plan, like we have on on an annual basis, um, where it's really just maintenance of ongoing infrastructure that we have within the city. You see a lot of reconstruction or mill and fill type projects when it comes to streets. Um, you also see um, replacement of old water or sanitary sewer lines for, um, for newer ones. Um, and so you'll have both um, uh, Joe Sova, the city's utility director, and, and Josh Fredrickson, the city engineer, that'll talk a lot about that. Um, Something that Joe Sova is going to speak to is, is how the recent sanitary sewer and stormwater um, reports that were done following the 2017 flood, how that was um, incorporated into the capital improvement plan and a little bit of discussion as to where things stand in that right. And then following that, we actually have something that's a little bit different than what we've seen in years past, and that's where we'll actually have a little bit of discussion of requests for infrastructure extensions um, that have been submitted to the city uh, that we'd like to have um, all of your take on um, for um, some additional review. Um, the reason why we think it's valuable to have your review at the time is to think about these areas when it comes to future development. Um, and uh, what the city's done in years past is actually um, start to institute policies where rather than the city taking on the liability of doing extension of utilities in hopes that prop property will develop, um, we've actually kind of ch changed it and allowed for the developer to come to the city pay for those extensions up front and then the city reimbursement a after the development has taken place. Um, it's, it's a more of a sustainable way and it, it limits the risk that the public sector is taking on for um, extension of, of utilities that could happen for private properties that could or could not develop. So, um, so we'll have a little bit of discussion about that at the end. Um, but right now I'll actually um, bring up Josh Fredrickson, the city engineer, and he'll talk about um, the few portions of the plan that's under his purview. Okay. Good evening. <clears throat> so as Grant stated, I'm Josh Fredrickson and I'm going to talk about the capital improvement plan from an engineering side of things. Um, so we'll get going. So agenda, what I've got to talk, uh, what I'm going to cover are, is about street funding, our project selection process, go through a little bit of our project list. I won't go through every project on the five-year plan, but um, <laughs> kind of just talking generalities and, and some specifics, um, both major, local. Um, I won't talk too much about the water. Uh, Mr. Sova will talk about that later on. And then um, after that, we'll talk about the petition projects that, that come through the engineering department. So street funding. Um, there are three primary sources of street funding um, that we utilize to uh, repair streets. Uh, 
we get the gas and weight tax. So every time you purchase fuel at the pump, there's a gas and weight tax, and, and we recoup some of that uh, back from the state. Um, and then the, uh, the second portion, probably our biggest portion that we utilize for street reconstruction is the county road millage, and we currently have two um, on the books right now. And then there's the Metropolitan Planning Organization, or the MPO, uh, that we get funding from uh, about every other year. Um, so the blue there is the gas and weight tax. Um, that has gone up slightly in the past couple years, um, so that's a, that's a good thing for us. We get, we're seeing a little bit more funding from the state, but by and large, again, the red portion is the, the um, county road millage, and that's primarily what's being used to um, fund all of our street reconstruction. Before you yes. go, let me ask you this question. Is the funds we receive are the funds, they, they don't accrue for a year, then we receive them. We, we, we receive them and use them in the year they are paid, right? So when we pay taxes this year, it's used this year, or so is that wrong? Th that's a great question, and, and I'll talk to that all in this slide here, on okay. the road millage timing. So on the road millage itself, um, there are two road millages, and they, they were set up for four years, uh, four years at a time. The, the most recent one was uh, reapproved in 2018. Right. That was initially set up in 2014. That was the second one. The, the first longstanding one's been on, I want to say, for like 40, 45 years, and that mm -hmm. was reapproved in 2016. And so the vote occurred, like on this one in 18, it occurred in August. Um, but it was it that one won't kick in until the year following and so oh, okay. on this slide what i have here okay, is gotcha. so like for the tax billing year in 1819 for the fiscal year of 1819 it's collected in february of 19 and so there's two road millages one one expires in 18 and one expires in 20. Um, and then that one get got renewed and so it's almost, there's one that's lagging a year behind. That's what I was thinking, yeah. Yeah, and that, and that was based on when it was first uh, voted on. It was voted on in November uh, back mm -hmm. in 14. Yeah, 14. And by the time in November of 14 that it was able to be approved, that didn't give time to get on the tax roll until 14-15, um, which would be due in February of 16. Right. So there's some lag there right. on that. So. Okay. So what we've tried to map out here is, um, because we are looking at a, a five, a, a current year or an upcoming fiscal year plus five years, so a six year plan, trying to map out, um, we've built the capital plan with the, with the assumption of the funding of what we're having today stays consistent over the future. Now with this, if one drops off and is not renewed, then we'd have to revisit those years as we get closer to that. So we had to pick one way or the other, um, and so we went with, with the option of having more projects on the list than fewer. Um, and, and if the funding changes, um, then we address that as that goes forward. So does that answer? Yep, that answers my question, okay. yes, okay. So the current funding levels, um, currently we are able to uh, keep pace. It's sufficient at this time to keep up with the pavement deterioration curve. We rate all of the, all of the roads and we have a deterioration curve that they sit on. Um, or they move along, and we're able to keep that up to keep it about level where we're at across the city, um, and we utilize basically the road millage funds to be able to do that. Without the road millage funding, we wouldn't be able to do nearly any of the construction that we're, we're able to do uh, currently. Um, but as, as was seen in the first chart about the funding, um, before we had the two millages, 
we started to accumulate that backlog of fair and poor streets. Mm -hmm. So while we're trying to balance the deterioration that's occurring now, there's a backlog of projects. So um, we're trying to balance all of that. So it's able to address the current level um, and at the same time start to, to start to chip into the backlog of fair and poor streets that we have. Okay. So what do we have um, throughout the community? Major streets, major streets are your larger, higher volume streets. Think like uh, your Saginaw Road, um, that's a, a major street. Um, Wackerly and Wheeler, those are major streets. Uh, we have about a, 87 miles of that, like 87.13. But um, we have 87 miles of major streets. And then local streets, that's more your neighborhood streets. Um, um, think of your, yeah, your neighborhood where, where residential is primarily. Um, those are going to be your local streets, and we have about 149 miles of local streets. So that's how we split them up. Uh, we look at major and local, and we try to, um, on the, in the capital plan, we list major street projects and local street projects. Uh, so I just want to give some background on that. So how do we select projects? Select, we select projects, both local and major, uh, through a variety of tools. We utilize a pavement management software, um, and into that we feed road ratings. Um, every year we rate one-third of our roads, so every three years each road is getting a road rating. And so we're able to track that curve. Now the curve isn't linear, so we can't say it was, you know, at this level and in five years it'll be this. It, it's um, not a linear progression there, but uh, we utilize that road rating and feed that into that system to help uh, select roads. We also look at traffic volumes, um, and then we also work closely with the utility department for water and sewer needs. Um, we don't we we try to coordinate those if they have a water main that needs to be replaced We'd rather address the road and the water main at the same time rather than okay We're gonna go tear up a water main and replace that and then three years later come in and do a street project and and um, and Cause the congestion and the issues that along with construction two different times We just rather take care of it all of that at once We also get input from various departments across the city such as the Department of Public Services uh, and then we also um, get receive public petition projects and requests. So um, that all feeds into how we select projects. <clears throat> so the timeline that, we're, that we go on, constructions through, throughout the summer, uh, the nice, nicer weather months um, mm -hmm. when we're able to keep, uh, when plants are operating and uh, that's construction. But throughout the year, we, we, we receive requests from residents to have, have us review their street. We look at those, we keep a list of, of what we've looked at um, and consider that as we as we move through the process of of selecting streets on, and updating the CIP. Um, and then in the fall of each year, we coordinate with the various city departments, such as utilities and uh, Department of Public Services. We send out a request for petitions for new public infrastructure. What that request is for is if they don't have a current infrastructure. So, for example, if there's a gravel street someone would like paved, or if there's not a water main where someone would like a water main. Um, and we receive those requests and, and factor that into things. And all of that uh, feeds into updating the, updating the capital improvement plan. As part of that process, we look at the current projects, we look at what we've estimated, um, if the road ratings change, we evaluate um, if that scope is needing to be changed, and then we evaluate our costs as, as they've come in that current year, and we make a determination on if costs have gone up or down, and this last year costs went up pretty dramatically. Um, mm -hmm. We were seeing asphalt prices that almost doubled per ton uh, this past summer, so we've gone back and reevaluated our estimates and made some adjustment for that. 
And so into that, that feeds the capital plan, which means that projects need to shift around and move based on what funding level we expect. Yes. I had a question. Uh, do you know why the pricing went up? Is it because of demand of more road work going that, on? That's probably one of the, the biggest drivers. Um, as I said, the, the state has funded um, additional funding for, for streets, and that's not just for our community. It's statewide, and they've done a few more projects. So I can't say that that was the sole driver, but um, that's probably the, one of the biggest drivers is that there's more uh, projects out there and, and the same number of contractors or you know, supply um, as there has been in the past. So that, that helped, I think, drive up the costs because we definitely saw it as the, as the season progressed. And we usually see a little bit of an increase as, as you get through the season. Mm -hmm. But this year, it, it really, it was a lot more increased than what we normally see. So, one other quick question: Yes, coordination with MDOT. Now there are a number of streets or roads that going that go through Midland uh -huh. that are under MDOT control. Yes. Is there a coordination, or do, do they drive when those changes are to be made? Um, they are. So they are the road jurisdiction. So when I was saying that we have 87 miles of major and 149 of local. I was excluding the MDOT routes um, because they're the they're the jurisdiction of that. So M20 right outside the door here with the bridge going on, right. um, Eastman Indian Buttles um, and US10, those are are the state routes. Now they um, we can't so they inform us. They have their capital plan and they okay. say, okay, we're looking at this project out in the future and we're doing this. Uh, in fact, the city typically has a portion of the cost that that we're required by state law to. Uh, pay into that project and so like for example with the bridge um, we budgeted that the our our cost or what was anticipated to be our cost over the course of three years because we knew it was coming so okay. um, we don't really drive those projects we're aware of them or we we're made aware of them through MDOT and then we can help participate um, there's some there's some of the roads that we that we encourage them every chance we get um, <laughs> to, to look at and they're aware of them as well right. but they they also have the same um, constraints that we have, they have, you know, miles of road and, and only so much funding. And right. so, and then, does that answer your question? Mm -hmm. So pavement management, um, this is what we, what we do a lot of. Um, it's basically identifying the right fix of the right place at the right time. On the left there is that graphic. It's a, a graphic of the road deterioration, more of a graphic than anything, uh, indicating that you'll start out at a, at a good, and it'll stay good for a little while, then all, of, and then it'll drop pretty quickly through the through the fair and down into the poor. Um, and then each one of those, um, when it's good, you can do a less cost, a uh, less cost, or less expensive option to repair. And once you get down into the poor, it's basically uh, very expensive. Um, so we try and mix and match um, that to be able to keep our our curve ratings up, as well as getting a, a wide variety of fixes and utilizing our dollars to the best that we can. So what are those? So the surface treatment, uh, this is the um, this is one of the preservation for when the road's still in good condition. Uh, it basically puts down a slurry and some aggregate. Um, they can put this down in, in, um, pretty rapidly, uh, and it's pretty, it's not very invasive. You're not tearing up a lot of street. It just goes right over the surface. We've been using this surface treatment program for, for many years now, and it is an integral um, cost-effective part of our pavement management process in order to extend the surface life of our streets. Um, the next fix, kind of in the middle, is I call a mill and fill or a rehab. 
Uh, this is when you're, they, they grind off uh, the top couple inches of asphalt and they put, put new asphalt down on top of that. So this is when your road's kind of in the middle condition that you can address this. This was a Wackerly type project a couple yes. of years ago. Yeah, yeah from yeah. Um, or, uh, uh, Sturgeon to Shade. Shade, yeah. Yes, okay. it was a known fill in that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you get to the most costly <laughs> one with reconstruction. Uh, this is basically when you tear, up, tear down the whole asphalt and everything down to the base, basically re rebuild uh, from, the, from, the, from the bottom up. So um, it's the most costly one. So in summary, we use a variety of resources uh, to select projects uh, to be on the capital improvement plan. We use computer software, road ratings, traffic volumes, departmental input, all go into obtaining um, how we put together the highest value of repairs on the existing system. So this map um, I threw in there, recognizing probably not, not real visible, but um, you can kind of see that we're scattered over the five years all around the city. Um, as a point of interest, um, we do have this loaded up into the interactive map on the GIS website, on the city website. It is now. Okay. Yes, it's Very under good. the um, planning tab. Okay. If you go into the, and check on the planning, and then you go down, there's the five-year CIP, and you check on that, and then you select street and water. And you can zoom in and see which streets are, are <coughs> where. So um, be able to communicate that information where, we're, where we've got uh, projects planned currently. So what do we have for major streets um, from the fiscal year 1920 to 24-25? We have 28 projects which cover 16 miles of road. Now 16 miles of road is just, you know, it could be a four-lane road, we've st but it's a mile long and that's still a mile, um, or it could be a two-lane road. So it doesn't really take into the width, it's just 16 miles of road that we're taking. Uh, newer modified sections, uh, the only one that we have in there right now is the West Sugnut Road from Northwood to Main Street. Uh, to finish off that segment of Sugnut um, that's um, yet to be built there. So other than that, it's, it's the reconstruction, the rehab, and the surface treatments. Mm -hmm. Examples of that are Jefferson Avenue, Sugnut to Wheeler, Main Street, Post University, West Wackerly from Stark to Dublin. Uh, again, we've gone through and, and reviewed the estimates um, and changed them based on the increased costs that we've seen. Uh, we've worked with utilities. Um, a lot of these have water, water main to, to be done uh, with, and so we've coupled those projects with that. Uh, on local street side of things, there's a few more. Uh, these are usually a little bit smaller than some of our major ones, and, they, um, and so we've got 54 projects uh, and only 14 miles, but these are your smaller streets. Uh, most of these include a water main project, um, and so uh, we don't typically build new uh, local streets, so we don't have any new segments on there as, as um, a local street. Um, but examples of what, what we have are Cortland Street from Brookfield to the end of Court, Hamilton Street, Jay to Clay, State Street north to George. Um, I mean, the, there's, there's quite a list of them, and I, I don't want to go through all of them necessarily <laughs> right now, but that's just kind of a sampling of, of um, some of the neighborhood streets that we'll, that, that we'll be addressing. So. Now, I don't believe that I'm getting into the petition projects right now. Is that correct, Grant? That's correct. So, um, so with this, that's um, I think Joe's going to come up. Uh, Mr. Silva's going to come up and talk about the utility side of things, but I'm happy to address any questions on, on the street side right now. Yeah, just a quick question. Mm -hmm. I, I seem to recall there's no bridge replacements or bridge work this year. 
Uh -huh. But wasn't there like that bridge over, used to be called the Upper Bridge? So Curry Parkway Bridge. Yeah, Curry Parkway. Yep, yeah, it got damaged. Uh, and yes, yes. And so, um, so I can speak to that real briefly. And so uh, there was an oversized load vehicle that yeah. went across there. That was recognized. Um, so we shut the bridge down, got it inspected with the, uh, our bridge inspector, consultant firm that, that we use. Uh, they've been out there a couple of times. They've uh, identified a few things that needed that were damaged and need to be replaced before we open it back up. Uh, that is intended to go, um, that's not listed in the capital plan, so we have not yet identified funding. We're still working through that process. Um, so that's not listed in this, you are correct. Okay, thank you. But we are working on that through that process to um, be able to open that road back up. Yes. Do we find the people that went over it? Uh, I know the attorney's office is working <laughs> through the legal side of things. Um, I'm not, I haven't been in communication with anybody on, on that side. Uh, I just know that the attorney's office is exploring their options and, and pursuing what, what they can. Okay. I had a couple more things. Go ahead. Uh, first, uh, do we know, what is the percent of poor, fair, and good roads? Do you have that? So, um, I, I forgot to bring that sheet down with me. We do okay. have that, but it's, it's in the range of our good is like 20%. Our, um, our, our fare is probably 35, and the remainder is, is in the poor section. Oh, okay. And so it, some of it depends on where you break that good, fair, poor number, um, but that's, we definitely have more in the fair and poor section than we do in the good. What's a good mix for a benchmark? Do we know? We, um, I'm not sure. What of the three? I know you, we're never going to have 100% good. So. Oh, so our target value, um, so we rate our roads on basically a 0 to 100 scale. Um, and so what we've targeted is about a 70. And that's been um, for if we measure everything across the city, um, like a 65 to 70. Okay, and what so are we that's, at? So we're, we're just on the low end of that right now. Okay. Um, and so we're, we're able to stabilize that. The last, um, there were a few years in there where... We didn't have very, there wasn't a lot of funding and street projects going on, and so the uh, <coughs> prices were, weren't going down. And so it was, it was pretty flat and a little bit dipping, but once we got that second millage up uh, and running, and we started to see the effects of that mm -hmm. uh, this last year on, on the number of projects, and so we're starting to flatten that out. In fact, I think it'll start tipping up, so. Okay, so the poor percentage is going down right mm -hmm. now each year? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, like I said, we're able to start chipping into mm -hmm. those backlog ones, and as we use our surface treatments, kind of keep everything uh, afloat there. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, quick question for me. Mm -hmm. um, one of the goals we have on the master plan is regarding um, multimodal transportation, mm -hmm. um, and we've been doing just a lot of um, uh, discussion in general just about connectivity in the city. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm glad you said that uh, it's stabilized, because I know when we've done this in the past, it's not been that way. So um, mm -hmm. uh, knowing that we're starting to bend that curve back up, um, I'm curious about what um, plans there might be for kind of helping to meet that goal. Um, and I mean, I know it takes funding and that type of thing as well, but um, just curious. So um, a couple things. So, uh, so we do have the Complete Streets uh, program. We have the, I'm going to get the title of the, the, the document incorrect, but uh, the non-motorized transportation plan. Mm -hmm. um, and so every time, every time we have a project, we review that for complete streets. We review it for multi, um, multimodal. Usually that turns into uh, addressing sidewalk ramps and, and sidewalk pieces along the way. 
Uh, we, we look and see what's on the bike, um, particularly the bike route map, making sure our signs are in place and anything that's going, that was being planned. Um, anything future above and beyond that, um, I, I, I'm not aware of any set plans. Um, I know that there's interest regionally for the region-wide connector to, to, the different, to the different pieces, and I know there's people working on that, that in the background. But from a street perspective, we're, um, um, we do look at the, the complete streets and, and identify what we can or can't do. Um, with the road, with utilizing the road millage, what we've what we've indicated as we've gone out and said, you know, this is what it's being voted on. It's been voted for um, for that street repair, so it's heavy on that. Now, on the state side of things, we have to report to the state that a portion of our funding goes to uh, non-motorized and, and multimodal um, things, and so we're we're actively pursuing those types of um, projects to make sure that not only are we state compliant, but we're also meeting our goals as a city of of providing those resources and, and accessibility to folks. So if I'm understanding you correctly, the, it sounds like as far as you know, complete streets and mm -hmm. um, fixing the sidewalks and stuff like that, it sounds similar to what we do when coordinating with storm and water, is that if we're going to be doing something on the street anyways, mm -hmm. let's take a look and make sure that we're yes. um, also looking at the sidewalks, yes. et cetera. Yeah. Um, which um, is great, because I, I, I am very much of the opinion that um, you guys take really good, really good care of the stuff that's there. Um, but I think I'm also understanding from you that if we're going to do anything, because I'm more interested kind of from the future, uh -huh. um, is that it sounds like, that was going to be my next question, was funding. Um, so uh -huh. it sounds like there's not a lot of wiggle room to be able to use millage funding to be able to make, get that done. And it's still pretty tough from a local streets perspective, too, or from what we get from the state, too, so, right? So from the, so from the millage, um, you know, you'd have to look at what the language states right. um, for what, mm -hmm. you know, we can technically use that money for. But I know from the state perspective, you know, they encourage us to, to look at that multimodal, and, and we do that on every project. We, we look at that. I guess I was getting at, you know, larger projects, yeah. you know, larger trail or, or rerouting, you know, mm -hmm. designating certain roads as bike lanes or adding bike lanes into different uh, aspects. Um, we pretty much go with what the plan shows today, um, and I don't know when the last time that was updated, but that's, that was um, what we're basing it off of at this point. Okay. That's helpful. Thank mm -hmm. you. Any other questions for me? Thank All right, you, Josh. Thank you. And my name is Joe So. I'm the utilities director for the city of Midland, and I'll be presenting the uh, CIP for this for the utilities department. If I can find it. Bunch of stuff up here. I keep stopping on it. There we go. All right, utilities department, and I'm going to launch this thing. And the utilities department uh, is comprised of stormwater management, uh, and that is a shared fund between engineering. Uh, Department of Public Services and the Utilities Department. Uh, it also includes drinking water, which is a treatment and distribution, uh, wastewater services, which is collections and treatment, and then the landfill and renewable energy. And the, land, the renewable energy was uh, uh, brought under the landfill uh, GL account for county uh, purposes, 
as it's more uh, tightly tied to that rather than being a separate unit. Mm -hmm. um, we define uh, capital as uh, replacements and improvements that are greater than or equal to $5,000. Uh, if it's an equipment purchase, uh, greater than or equal to $5,000 with a service life of at least five years. A program of projects whose total is uh, greater than or equal to $5,000. And these will include uh, construction, replace, or expand a, a public building, uh, water, sewer, or storm system, sewer systems, streets, equipment, or acquisitions of land for public use. Um, as you see in the, uh, in the report, um, there are numerous categories that these capital items are that they fall under, facility improvements, building equipment, computer equipment, uh, regular equipment uh, devices, uh, vehicles, and then infrastructure planning and engineering services. And those two items are what engineering and utilities coordinate mostly. So again, as, as Josh said, we get together uh, each year, um, engineering utilities, as well as some other, other departments to begin laying out uh, uh, what our respective capital priorities are and what things may impact uh, our plan uh, going forward. Um, many meetings um, over many months and between the departments, uh, we, we kind of come to agreement on, on shared or, or uh, street projects and water projects that can be done at the same time. We try very hard to, uh, uh, to try to put those together. There are times when we can't wait for a road uh, to get constructed and there are times when a road needs to get constructed but our main just isn't to, to the point where it needs to be replaced so mm -hmm. you'll see some standalone uh, projects when that when that happens um, one of the big impacts uh, now showing its way into the CIP is the effect of the 2017 rain and flooding event uh, this past summer uh, after a, a year-long study the storm and sanitary sewer study was completed by our, by our consultants uh, in October of last year, of 2018, City Council authorized staff recommendations to address the deficiencies in the storm and sanitary sewer systems over the next five years. And just to bring you back to that 2017 event. Now the stormwater um, is made up of 180 miles of pipe and open drains. And our goal is to clean those storm pipes on a four-year cycle. It has been very difficult to achieve that goal. Um, back in 2008, I believe we reduced staff. Uh, that would have been uh, helping out in that aspect. Uh, the stormwater improvements uh, from the report, you can see they're broken out into equipment facility, uh, totaling three point, almost 3.4 million over the six-year period. Um, the average annual budget for the storm sewer uh, fund or management fund is uh, 564,000 for capital. Um, the plan uh, that you have, that you've seen in the report, uh, it, inc it includes recurring items. So every year we're putting in money in the budget, uh, the capital budget for these items. And that would be catch basin leads, uh, new, uh, new installations, as well as replacements, uh, culvert replacements, uh, full length liners, uh, outfall and open ditch rehab. So those things occur every year, uh, they're in the budget. Now, one of the other items that was added this year due to the uh, storm sewer study and uh, one of the recommendations that staff made was to uh, start to, to evaluate and to, uh, to clear the Sturgeon Creek or the, the property portion that the city owns. And so that, that was added to the budget uh, for next year. Um, 
we have undertaken some of these uh, items, uh, the, some of the deliverables uh, in the, from the study already this year, and we're allocating some funds uh, to, to begin that Sturgeon Creek. We've already done some work in that area. Now the Snake Creek uh, culverts where we typically uh, put in money for culverts each year, um, but this particular, uh, because of the study, uh, Snake Creek has four culverts that, are, that, are, that likely need to be replaced. So we're going to uh, survey those beginning this year and look at uh, four that have been identified that could possibly be undersized. So typically we put in enough for one culvert per year, but sometimes we don't have it identified yet. We've got uh, four of them identified over the next mm -hmm. four years. Yes, sir. You say cleanup on Sturgeon Creek, and I'm just seeing that in the $300,000 price tag. What, what exactly do you mean by cleanup? It, uh, the channel has, has trees fallen. We've had um, uh, the ash trees are, are dying and they're standing. Some of them are falling over in the channel. Um, the city owns a large portion of the west side of the Sturgeon Creek between Saginaw Road and West Wackerley. And so what we're looking to do is clear a certain swatch of number of feet from the channel so that all those trees will be removed along there. Uh, so they won't, if they, they fall, then they, they, they'll be easier to grab later on. But also future cleaning, we would be able to take a brush hog through there and run a couple paths through to keep trees from, from growing close to the channel. So we won't have that hopefully in the future. Thank you. And again, I said that we, we did start that already this year. We've done a portion of it near the, uh, the Saginaw and Sturgeon culvert, um, but we're gonna have to bid out the, the rest of it. Mm -hmm. And now onto the water fund and the treatment and distribution and uh, drinking and, uh, and industrial grade water. Uh, it's a 48 million gallon uh, a day plant. Uh, we've got 360 miles of pipe. Uh, that includes the retail customers in the townships. Uh, over 3,200 fire hydrants and isolation valves and five pumping stations. So just to give you, a, orient you on, on what kind of uh, capital items that we, we look at um, uh, in our plan. And the water is, is a very, very big uh, fund. A um, couple of picks, uh, aerials of, uh, of the, the reservoir on the back. The, the, the water doesn't really look that blue, but uh, <laughs> we'll go with it for right now. Then uh, a, a picture of a control room at the plant and then a... Uh, filter and then laboratory and here's just a, a map of our, our county uh, and where we sell our water um, we have two wholesale customers water district number one and auburn and retail customers we have at homer midland larkin and mills and retail we mean they basically get treated as if they were the city they get the, the same price the same services mm -hmm. And so here's a, uh, a pic picture of the overall uh, six-year plan for the water fund, broken out into equipment, facility, uh, projects under 100, uh, projects between 100 and, and, and 500, and then over 500,000. So for a total for the six years, uh, 21737000 And you'll, you'll see the note there that this is an increase of about $4.5 million, and there's a uh, uh, several reasons for why the amount over the six-year is is an increase over last year's six-year plan. Right. I, I noticed that it was. It was. I, I looked at it. I was thinking streets would be the major, or stormwater, but but water itself was the largest single item on the in the budget of this, and that's a change from the past, is it not? Uh, it, well, a couple of years ago, when we started getting the the dual millage, um, we started stepping it up to try to match. 
the streets. So okay. we did increase them a couple of years ago, but this particular year has, has jumped up a bit more uh, for a few reasons, and I'll, I'll get to in a, okay. another slide right. or so. Um, so if you break down uh, the water improvements, we've got uh, about a million nine that are just standalone. That means that there's no street associated with it, no street repair. Um, the other, we have local streets, uh, 7.8 million, and then 7 million that are associated with major streets. So uh, those are the ones that we tandem uh, with engineering. Uh, our distribution uh, area is uh, new services, about 150,000 a year, and we're adding a, a, a utility tra trailer. Um, at the plant, uh, we have uh, foregone some or deferred some Im major improvements so we could accommodate some of these other main replacements. Um, and I want to draw your attention below there. You don't really see this in the, in the report, but we're starting to identify capital improvements in, the, in our internal uh, capital uh, to indicate whether um, it's a capacity area of the, of, the, of the fund and the operation, which is shared with uh, the Dow Chemical and the city as far as cost. Um, and if it's strictly domestic water, then that would be the city portion. If it's strictly industrial water related, then Dow would pay that entire amount. So we have those coded, so we know where, where if it's a Dow uh, shared or, or a predominantly Dow item, we know how much money on the revenue side to put in our budget to compensate for that. So yes, it may look like it's uh, you know $4 million increase. Some of that Dow is going to reimburse us for. Okay. Mm -hmm. So here are some of the reasons uh, or the changes in the overall water uh, capital improvement plan. Uh, back in June, uh, the state uh, Michigan Devar Department of Environmental Quality uh, promulgated a new lead and copper rule. And there are uh, a, a lot of different aspects to the lead and copper rule that are administrative, uh, reporting, public outreach, those sort of things. But, but what hits us um, in, the, in the CIP is that in the first year, we have to identify all of the water services in our, in our distribution system. So that's all the city, all the township. That's about close to 20,000 services. We have to identify what material that service line is, all the way to the main. Um, in the first year, we have a, whatever we believe it is, that's what we're going to report to, to the, the, the state of Michigan. And over the next five years, we have to, we have to identify what we don't already know. So that means that we'll go to each service line and pothole to determine at the road or at, and at the, at the house. We have to determine whether it's lead, if it's copper, plastic, whatever the material is. Um, and you'll notice um, over the next 20 years then, we will have identified and removed any lead services. Now the city, uh, fortunately, we're a fairly new system relative to our neighbors uh, to, the, to the east and, and to the south and southeast Michigan. Uh, we don't have a lot of lead in, in services in our system, but we do have some. We've come across some over the years, um, and we've come in this past summer, we, we uh, replaced the main on Carpenter. We came across two. Now the new rule says if you come across lead, of course you have to replace them. We always have. If we've come across them, and we've probably come across 20 maybe in the last 20 years, we don't come across them very often. Uh, but when we do, we have to re replace it. But now the new rule says if that lead service, so that lead connection, a gooseneck or what have you, is connected to a galvanized steel service line that the, 
that the resident actually owns or the, the, uh, the owner owns that portion. The city has to replace that service line at its cost. So, and that means over the last number of years that we've identified and removed some um, lead goosenecks, we now have to go back and determine whether if those were connected to a galvanized, and if they were, we have to go back and replace those service lines. We replaced a couple of service lines this last summer uh, at city's cost uh, due to that new rule. And it, and it mm. kind of uh, goes against everything we've always known that you can't spend public money on private property. But this is basically saying you must replace uh, the owner's service line if it was connected to lead and they had a galvanized service line. So that, yes. Uh, when was lead stopped? Uh, when did uh, the state stop using lead for these services? Do you know? Uh, I don't. I know that we, when we're looking at our water mains, uh, pre-1940 is where you might find it. Post-1940, maybe not. There are, even though the law may have said, you know, no longer have lead, you're still going to get some of these products that maybe came from China or somewhere else that contain lead. And mm -hmm. so a lot, of the, a lot of the fixtures that people have in their homes may have lead in them. Uh, but as far as the service line, we don't have a lot that, of, of those here, okay. which, which is a good, a good thing. Yep. Uh, it's not going to break us. We don't have to do anything major at this point as far as to save up money to replace all these, these lead, lead services. So uh, we added um, 11 projects to the six-year plan. Um, we're due to um, our concerns with with lead, um, and they are ten of them are 1927 vintage, and one of them is mm -hmm. 1936. We don't know if there's lead there, but this will when we when we replace the the mains, and they're almost 100 years old. Um, and you might ask, well, why weren't they in the plan already? Why are you adding them now? Part of the reason is these mains, many of these mains are a cast iron. It was an oven era that they were very, very hardy. And they're also buried in a, a, an acceptable soil. Uh, if it's in a clay type of a soil, that's very uh, uh, active and it deteriorates metal pipes uh, rapidly. These happen to not be giving us a lot of trouble as far as main breaks, but now that we know that um, a little bit more about what what um, engineering is going to be doing with the street, the actual construction could impact uh, the, the marriage of that pipe in the ground, and then we'll have problems after the road's paved. So they're 100 years, almost 100 years old, so we're going to work to, uh, to replace those, and that's why they were added uh, with a little bit more heightened, heightened urgency uh, this, mm -hmm. this round. Um, and as Josh alluded to, some of the uh, construction costs have increased dramatically for us. Uh, and as he said, part of it is due to the, the abundance of work and then the lack of the, the contractors to perform the work. So that tends to drive up uh, cost, and that's what we're seeing. So uh, engineering went through uh, the water um, capital plan this year and recalculated some of the cost based on what they know to current uh, cost to be for uh, individual pieces. And so a lot of uh, our, our main replacements that we already had in the, in the, in the uh, CIP were increased by some of them 50% or more. Uh, so mm -hmm. that, that also contributed to some of the increase in the CIP. Uh, we did re-prioritize uh, some of the improvements, uh, township pressure, improve, pressure improvements we took out, uh, 300,000. Uh, carbon feed system replacement at the plant. Uh, we use that system maybe once every two years. It's uh, carbon is used for uh, odor and taste. 
uh, removal, and we don't, uh, with the quality of water, our source water, we don't tend to run into that situation. So we decided that this, uh, this type of uh, replacement could be deferred. Uh, line feed system replacement, uh, the same thing. It wasn't a, uh, it was more of a um, would have liked to do, and it was in the plan, but it's not a necessity, so we took it out. Um, the, another project that we had been funding for a number of years, uh, substantial 1.9 million is the HVAC improvements. Now that was put in there a number of years ago under a different uh, water tr uh, treatment superintendent and we, as we get closer to the time we were going to construct it, we were able to evaluate it further, and we don't really feel that we need to replace this in this uh, six-year period. So we're going to defer that out, and then so that $1.9 million will then help with the uh, added uh, water main projects. Mm -hmm. Now here's the list of, of those projects that were due to uh, uh, lead and copper rule, and you'll notice that that source is coded ENPR LS, that's for local street, and then uh, major streets. So uh, five of these projects are local street related and uh, six are major street related. And so now on to uh, the wastewater fund. I had a question on yeah. water if I could. Uh, I don't know if you had that in there earlier. What's the percent capacity we're at for water usage for what the plant can provide on a million gallons per day? Well, we're 48 million uh, gallon a day that we can uh, treat. Right. Uh, we also have uh, elevated towers that have water. We also have buried tanks, uh, reservoirs that have water. So we could deliver more than 48 million gallons in a given day. Um, our average is about 20 million gallons that, a day. So, that's what I was so looking for. And, and we, uh, a superintendent, when I first started, uh, was pro doing projections. And by 2011, his projection was to say that we were going to have to increase the capacity of our water plant. Well, what we've seen over the years as a partial contributor is that when people are do-it-yourself uh, renovating their homes, they're getting rid of the old school type of plumbing fixtures or they're more uh, eco-friendly uh, fixtures. Uh, new, new services are just not using as much water as some of the older ones. And so we've uh, kind of tapered, tapered off on what our capacity oh, needs are. So our projections are we're not going to need an increase in the foreseeable future at not all. Not due to uh, usage. Um, we never know what the, the state could impose on us that could cause us to change treatment. Uh, mm -hmm. But at this point, we don't have any indication of that. And capacity-wise, um, we have what looks to be plenty of capacity. Mm -hmm. So on to the wastewater treatment plant or the treatment, uh, the wastewater fund, uh, and that includes the collections and treatment. Uh, that's an 18 million gallon a day plant, um, 207 miles of pipe, and 43 pump stations, and that serves just the city. We do not go outside the city for sewer services. Again, a couple of uh, pics. Um, you can see our above ground basin that's just to the west of our plant, uh, an oxidation ditch, which is, which is a treatment type um, picture of a pipe, and then a, you'll see a typical standby, uh, pump station with a standby generator. And so the six-year capital plan, including the uh, general equipment, facilities, and then planned projects, uh, totals $9,782,500. Uh, that is an increase of about 500000 So you might ask, uh, we had this flood, and we've got these directives over the next five years. Many of those directives for the next five years for the sanitary sewer system 
is to identify where we have inflow uh, and infiltration of groundwater and rainwater. Um, and, and I'll get into some of the details, but the larger ticket items will be inventoried when we get to a point where we either bond to pay for it, mm -hmm. uh, because a lot of these, these uh, projects that were identified in the study um, totaled probably uh, between the storm and sanitary over $100 million. And, and that's, so we're trying to, with the sanitary, remove as much water as we can from the sanitary, because, every, because of every gallon that you remove, you just gain a gallon of capacity in your sanitary sewer. So we're gonna go through for the next uh, three, four, five years, remove as much water as we can from the system, reevaluate certain recommendations to see what the extent is that's needed now versus what was initially uh, indicated. Yeah, you touched on it, but uh, you know, on page six of the plan, it references uh, $118 million of you know, flood mitigation yeah. or whatever. And I'm looking at all, you know, the stormwater for the next few years is less than three and a half million. That's I'm right. just wondering how, you know, where the uh, where that kind of stuff is going to show up. Is it going to be post 2025 or is it going to, uh, is it not funded or? No, it, it basically what we're doing uh, is doing a lot of base work. We're going to be doing a lot of cameraing, cleaning of the storm sewer system <coughs> and identifying where the needs are and remove yeah. any any major leaks and, 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 and pipes. So the $100 million isn't going to hit that in our not. time, for, in our no. five-year time horizon. No, we're going to, over the next three to five years, identify and inventory all of the improvements that are needed okay. because it's, it's hard to, we, we can't finance these yeah. projects as the way we fund this, <laughs> this yeah. operation. Um, so it'll take likely some, some financing of some sort, uh, but you'll do that when you have uh, when you, enough you, to, got, to make it worth your while to do it. Okay, so, so that's why it's not in our, uh, the bulk of the expense isn't in our time, the time that, frame we're correct. considering now. Okay, it, it thank could, you In much. a few years, it, it could find its way yeah. into that six year. Um, but we'll, we'll inventory those and, and, and determine yeah. at that time. Same for the sanitary sewer system as well. Mm -hmm. so. Okay, that, thanks a lot. That's yeah. bothering me. Uh, and these, these are the items that are the changes to the CIP um, that were basically authorized by City Council in October uh, to move ahead with um, sewer system monitoring. So we added $130,000 for uh, a flow meter for a pump station, Valley Pump Station. That's a major pump station. Um, but we need more intel on, on what these pump stations are flowing. Um, and if you, if you had a chance to... Uh, to, to listen to any of the report uh, that we have for the sewer study, um, you'll know that our entire sanitary sewer system is somewhat combined. Although we have sewer districts, if one district is, is in, at capacity and one isn't, there will be spillover into another district. And so those were, are hard to uh, monitor, hard to, uh, um, to prove out. Um, so we need more flow data, mm -hmm. uh, more information, more rain data, so then we can, we can uh, align that with the, the actual what's happening at the pump station and how much they're pumping. So then we can determine to the extent of some of these, these uh, improvements we want to make. Uh, gravity sewer asset characterization is another item uh, that is, was recommended, and that's about uh, $2 million. We're getting ready within the next month or so to, uh, to bid that out. 
Um, basically what that is, it, we're gonna have an, a company come in and go inside every foot of gravity sanitary sewer. They're gonna identify and make sure that the, uh, the diameter is correct with our GIS. Um, they're going to make sure that they're gonna identify any cracks, any, any major, any flaws with the pipe. They'll be able to identify it and it'll be uh, put into a database and scored. So if you wanna look at all the priority, the fives, which are basically you have a lot of I and I or a, mm -hmm. a broken pipe, you'll be able to query that entire database uh, eventually and, and identify what, what projects you wanna go after first. Um, and, the low, and then lower your scale, uh, you'll, you'll put those off uh, further down the road. Um, we're, we're pretty excited about that, that to get going. And that's a 24 month uh, uh, endeavor. And we're going to step up the uh, inflow and infiltration identification. Um, basically, we're going to look at uh, the sewer study uh, identified priority one areas. And if you look at the map of the city, it's uh, up by Whitewood, northeast section of town, uh, in the center uh, by Jefferson uh, Intermediate, and then to the west over by Moreland and uh, mm -hmm. Perrin Road area. Those are priority one areas. And then we'll be able to fix and remove uh, INI as funding and, and time allows uh, until we get that, that inventory, as I indicated. Uh, pump station SCADA, which is a supervisory control and data acquisition. Uh, we've uh, begun that. Um, we finished the, the SCADA at the plant last year, and now we're working on the, on the pump stations so we can better communicate with the pump stations and have more uh, communication and in, in intelligence from the pump stations on what's happening out there. And uh, that is underway, uh, but we, did, we do have that in the, the long-range budget uh, in the next couple of years. Uh, one item we did to add this year, um, there's a street uh, that's going to be redone, the East Wheeler, uh, Swede to Waldo. Um, the force main, when the development uh, out Waldo, North Waldo, went in, mm -hmm. this area was identified as it'll ultimately need to get um, upgraded. And we have seen some development and we, we continue to see development up in that area. And so now we, we need to replace that force main on that street while they're doing the street, um, mm -hmm. which is uh, out in 2021, so a couple years out yet. Um, we did allocate uh, majority of the footing drain uh, separation funding. Um, in the previous uh, couple of capital plans, we had footing drain separation money in there each year because we were already planning to do something like that before the June 2017 event occurred. Um, but we're taking some of that money to reallocate so we don't have to increase basically uh, the budget uh, for these directives that we've got going on in the next five years. So we, we allocated that, um, and part of that's gonna be used for the asset uh, characterization. Um, and then we'll be, like we remove the um, sludge thickener. Um, we determined uh, that we were able to rehab that rather than replace it. Uh, ultraviolet disinfection, a couple of years ago we had that, we were on track to go that route, um, but we hadn't gotten our NPDES permit, our, our discharge permit from the state yet, and we still haven't gotten it. Um, so we wanted to put off any changes to the treatment until we know what it is the state's gonna have us do with our treatment different. And we do have an insight into what they're gonna make us do uh, with ammonia uh, and a phosphate removal. Um, so we're, we're putting that, that ultraviolet disinfection off uh, beyond the six-year plan. 
uh, tri trickling filter arms, we were able to uh, um, repair and re replace and repair the first, the, the, the big two trickling filters with new treatment, uh, with ammonia removal and, and phosphates. They're not the most efficient. So we may, on the other ones that we have, the other two, we may not, we may replace those with a different treatment uh, type depending on uh, what the DEQ ultimately says that we, we have to remove. So, uh, and we can't do that with trickling filters. So those were the, the, main, the main differences in the, in the plan. So now with the uh, landfill, and I indicated that the landfill, we did uh, incorporate the renewable energy. Uh, it was its own separate fund, and now it's incorporated in with the landfill. Here's an aerial of, of the fill. Um, one through 13 are over here on the bottom right. Those are closed. A is back when it was really a dump, not a sanitary <laughs> landfill. That's closed. Um, a little bit north, we got our compost facility, and then the cells that we've got uh, 14, 15 through 19. Uh, we filled 14, we're filling a bit, top end 15, and we're filling 16. We're preparing to develop 17 in the next couple of years. And here's a shot of the uh, GTE facility, uh, the building uh, and the interior with the two engines. And so the landfill operations are, are sitting on 335 acres. Uh, we re receive about five, uh, 550 tons of refuse per day, and that comes in 30,000 or so vehicles uh, per year. Uh, large, we have a large-scale composting operation and then the la landfill gas collection system within the landfill cells. Uh, the renewable energy portion, uh, landfill gas source comes from the landfill. Um, the engines that create the energy the electricity are two uh, V20 cylinder Caterpillar engines. Uh, there's a three mile landfill gas pipeline from the landfill to the GT facility uh, off of uh, Bay City Road near the wastewater plant. And it generates about 13 million uh, megawatts, 13,000 megawatts per year. And here's a look at the combined uh, capital uh, in equipment facilities, uh, 7.8 million. Now this is um, really misleading that the $2 million increase or the $2.3 million increase uh, over the last year's six month is due to uh, really a financial reporting that change that we're going to incorporate. Um, typically when we have large ticket items, we budget a little bit for a number of years until we get to that so it mm -hmm. doesn't impact our budget uh, so negatively. And then we, in the last year of funding, that's when we construct it or that's when we purchase it. Um, it causes a lot, of, uh, a lot of extra administrative work because we have to keep encumbering, keep encumbering, and keep encumbering it, and it, and it messes with the financials. So what we're going to do going forward, uh, it, 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 first off with the cell development, cell 17 development, which we've been accumulating money, we let all that money go back to the working capital, and now we budgeted for the whole in one particular year. So... Um, we had already budgeted most of the money for it, um, so basically by letting that go back to the working capital and now adding it to the working cap or the working or the uh, capital improvement plan, we just added like 2.8 million dollars, which we really already had in there previously. So mm -hmm. the 2.4 million overage is not really an overage. Um, and then the same thing happened with a building improvements that we had been carrying forward for so many years. We finally let it go back to working capital and budgeted it uh, in total in, in, in one line item. So, mm -hmm. and that is all I have for the storm, water, <laughs> wastewater, landfill, and energy. 
right. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. <laughs> this was a very big year, and I think Josh would attest that we had to do a lot of maneuvering with the with the flood event, and then with the lead and copper and the water. We uh, we had to work extra this year on coordinating uh, all of these efforts. So. Yeah. Uh, Funding doesn't necessarily change all that much from year to year. That's so that's, that's that's impressive to yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> James, uh, last year's capital plan was about 15% less if you look every year. So we did have a lot. Is all these unusual events is why we're, you know, if I look at last year's 2019-20 versus this year's yeah. and compare them, we are creeping up a bit, right? Is right. It, and you know the sixth year out could be yeah. contributing to it, which you didn't have the benefit of seeing last year, because okay. that would have been the seventh year out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, just that detail real quick. Uh, yeah. How long will cell seventeen last? As a, what's the projection? I mean, it all depends on the uh, receiving rates uh, of the refuse, but likely seven, eight years, nine, ten years. It depends. It's as you get closer to the middle. If you saw that big rectangle, mm -hmm. as you get closer to the middle, those last longer because there's overfill. You keep overfilling to the uh, to the other cells, so okay. it, it it'll probably go past uh, ten years. Mm -hmm. on that okay. One. Okay. Many questions. Thank you much, Joe. All right. Thank, Thank you. you. It's, it's it's hard to uh, get utilities out of this picture. Okay. So the last time to, to discuss this evening are petition projects. Every year we send out a notice and get uh, it's posted. Uh, we accept petition projects for um, public infrastructure where none exists. I alluded to this before. Uh, for example, a water main where there's no water main today. Um, and so we did receive two petition projects, one for a storm sewer on Countryside Drive and another for a sanitary sewer near Sturgeon and Letts Road. So I'll go through those, I think, maybe. There we go. All right, so the storm sewer on Countryside Drive, we'll go through that one first. Uh, this request is to enclose the roadside ditch um, to extend a storm sewer along Countryside Drive from Green Road to about 1,800 feet east. So uh, here's a map so we have countryside drive running east west we have dublin avenue over to the east green road here to the west i uh, would start here at the ditch and run east uh, past, past plum tree about between plum tree and aspen way <clears throat> uh, this project would serve a planned residential development north of countryside drive um, the developer that submitted this request expressed interest in starting later this year um, now this isn't something that I, if I understand my process correctly when they go through the process that plan would be presented in front of the Planning Commission this is way in advance of that so it's not something that I understand you guys would have seen at this point uh, but it was a request for a public infrastructure that fell in line with the timing of, of things uh, something that this developer wants to start moving on closes the ditch it gets them access right now it's a shallow ditch in this area and so you need to go deeper uh, by putting a pipe in there in order to get the uh, stormwater facility to get it out uh, to uh, to an existing ditch that's deep enough. Current cost estimate for this is about three hundred thousand uh, dollars. 
the city would have some cost associated with that um, because it does make an improvement along other properties in addition to just the the um, development that's being proposed here the second one is a sanitary sewer uh, this request is to extend sanitary sewer service uh, to a parcel located near Sturgeon Road and Let's Road uh, I believe this was a parcel that was recently annexed into the city um, what we have here is as we have Let's curves through here across the Sturgeon you have Sturgeon Avenue here you have Barstow Airport over here mm -hmm. um, and so it would be this uh, parcel up in this area and this red line is what they've asked for um, and uh, to feed into Bobcat Court it would be a force main so a pressurized pipe um, I think I talked about that here it would be a pumping facility and pressurized pipe to transport to a gravity sewer uh, the current cost estimate for this work is three hundred twenty thousand dollars again um, a lot of that is due to the development it's primarily for the development um, but our nearest sanitary sewer service is around on Let's, and um, there's no, no nowhere anywhere close if we want to ever feed anybody else there's some residential properties along Sturgeon uh, or to the north and so this would allow us access by making it public to be able to feed those future neighborhoods rather than incurring the cost of um, building down the roadway building down Let's and up Sturgeon uh, that would be all city cost uh, this would be a facility that that those properties in that area could feed into and then um, and have sanitary sewer service so that's why we would have some for future connections outside the development mm -hmm. I believe so um, how we fund these typically uh, there's a couple different processes uh, recently as Grant stated at, at the beginning uh, when we receive these petitions um, recently the funding mechanism has been um, to defer some of that uh, that risk of the development and the cost on back to the developer um, where the developer would fund the primary the the cost of the project and then the city would work through a negotiation and a contract with that developer or, or who, the petitioner in this case um, to determine what would be a fair or what would be the city's cost um, of the project and so then uh, we would reimburse them or pay them back over some time we've done that through a couple couple processes it fits in line with our funding mechanism that we have available to us and it shifts that risk of of putting something in the ground at the city cost that then never um, gets utilized or um, uh, doesn't reach the full potential of what what could be and so um, what we've proposed or what's listed in the capital plan there's a short write-up about this um, but what uh, there is no funding currently listed uh, for a project on either one of those um, and we would propose um, to go through that process of working with the developer and having them bear the cost of it and the city work through negotiations on what their share what our share would be um, and then reimburse them over time on that so um, that's those were the two petition project it gives an idea of where um, a lot of the development where these petitions come in it's it's mm -hmm. kind of on the outskirts or on the, on the edge of of, uh, of the city um, obviously one was a an annexed parcel um, and so that wasn't at this time last year it wasn't in the city and so uh, that's really kind of where that development um, uh, newer things are, are being um, built and requested so I don't know if anybody has any questions on the petition project we just want to share uh, with you on what those were um, I'm happy to answer questions on that so if I could just elaborate a little bit more on, on the petition project. So this is a little unique that we've added this into the CIP. And as Josh mentioned, that they're, they're not currently funded within the project or within the, the plan itself. 
Um, and so we wanted to bring them up to all of your attention to have some initial conversation. Um, it certainly would, it would be appropriate to recommend this plan be approved by City Council as written and allow for City Council to have more of a detailed discussion related to these petition projects. Um, since really this discussion has been at the City Council level for a number of years previously. Now, something that would be also appropriate would be to comment on these lands and the uh, potential development for um, future um, tax base or, or other types of return on investment that the city could have for um, development of these. Josh talked a little bit about um, the, uh, um, the, the two projects and the one on countryside, the, the surrounding zoning is all RA1 single family. Um, and the Hawksnest subdivision that's a little bit to the north, this would effectively, what the petitioner is requesting is extension of Hawksnest for a third phase um, that would extend all the way down to countryside. So single family homes there. And then the property off of Sturgeon and Letts would be used for multifamily purposes. That's actually an area plan for multi, uh, medium density residential. And the concept plans that we've seen to date, um, although they haven't been formally proposed at all, um, has sh shown multifamily. Um, types of units there. So, um, <clears throat> so that's kind of, I guess, the background on, on either of these um, and what this could look like if this were to go forward without these included within the CIP would be more of a detailed discussion in front of City Council, their, um, their weigh-in on this as to whether or not they would be agreeable for some type of cost-sharing agreement. And then if that's the case, it would then be baked back in depending on what year um, it would be added into the plan after the fact. Sounds like if they're the decision makers on how the funding is going to work. Do we have a role in at least asking what the uh, flooding potential for those future developments are? Are those uh, near a floodplain or in a 50 or 100 year floodplain or are those fairly safe? Well, I think that's, that's certainly an appropriate question. So the, the one out at Sturgeon and Letts, the second project, that does have sizable 100-year floodplain that does go through that property um, since it's right adjacent to Sturgeon Creek. Um, countryside, um, um, everything north of Countryside is outside of the floodplain. Um, mm -hmm. So there's maybe wetlands that's within that area but does not have the impact of the floodplain. Um, but the property that's... Um, part of the second petition that does have a sizable amount of buildable area that's outside that 100-year floodplain. So um, even though there is some, there is still lands that can be I'm built. going to is kind of last time's discussion about our role in looking at the various risk mitigation. And I'm just wondering if we, uh, you know, should weigh in on that or make sure mm -hmm. people are aware of that or. Uh, and, and I guess and the question mm -hmm. is that what, what point in the whole process of, of this, even before, let's say, a site plan comes up? I mean, we, we, you know, one of the things we've tried to become, or we seem to become sensitive to is, is the development that we are, are approving and encouraging going to cause us headaches down the road because we've, you know, we just can't handle that much stuff coming through our system. Sure in the configuration that we have now. Right. Um, so I think that that's, um, I think that's part of the consideration. Now, one of the things that I recognize is that all of you um, don't have conceptual plans in front of you. You don't have any detailed plans to date right. either. And so to make any type of decision yeah. on this, I think would be quite tricky. Um, what we haven't, and, and what might be um, more valuable to us in this whole process would be to have anyone that is going to petition an extension of utilities that they would come prepared with a schematic or some type of concept plan. 
um, or possibly even initiate um, formal review of a site plan um, for some of these properties. And that way, the discussion for extension of these utilities would be informed with, with actual understandings of unit density, of where the streets would be mm -hmm. located or the development would be located in front of floodplain and everything else that we look at on a site plan um, review. Um, it might be more appropriate to take it uh, mm -hmm. to have that come well, along maybe with that petition. Should be brought to uh, city council's attention. We could go two ways. We could either kick the ball in their court and tell them to figure the funding out, or we could say, you know, do a, you know, we really want to look at, you know, maybe a pre plan of what's envisioned because uh, there might be some due diligence to do vis a vis floodplain or just general infrastructure capacity, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And actually, Chairman, I should be more mindful of our process. I know this is a public hearing and right. we're kind of dipping into yeah. more of a discussion. So um, <clears throat> so we can continue this after we go through the, the public hearing process and if there's any more questions for okay. um, both Josh and Joe. Any questions? I, I didn't yep. have a question, but at whatever point is appropriate on the general infrastructure, portion um yes go go ahead okay I, I see a couple of minor items for facility on uh, fire station three and fire station one and that's through 20 24 25 so there is no um, plans to uh, look at the uh, north side of town north of 10 to do anything with fire emergency up there in the current plans. That's correct. So the plan does not include a new fire station. Um, what you're seeing here for fire station three and fire station one is both parking lot improvements, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so um, we're starting to uh, incorporate some additional items in, into this and we're, um, we've been asked to look at parking lots. Uh, these were the first couple that, that had already been, they were, the fire department was always already looking at. And so, um, they, they got added in, but there's additional parking lots out there. The city owns quite a few, and, and they're an asset that needs to be maintained. And so that's something that uh, will will be growing over um, in the future capital improvement plans. So those ones there, parking lot only, um, okay. resurfacing, um, repairs to the parking lots only. So it doesn't mean there's no potential discussion on something different happening north of town? That is correct. It's just, it's just, okay. They, they already have a plan. They need to repair some parking lots, and okay. so we wrapped it in the plan um, just as that process grows. Okay. We're good. The commission's good. Okay. So, our, so our next step is well, we'll need to finish the public hearing. We'll finish the public hearing. And then deliberate. Okay. Yes. All right. <laughs> And in seeing in the audience, we have no one. We'll uh, close the public hearing, and we'll go into deliberation. So I guess to, to kind of answer a question about a process, I think it would be appropriate to, um, to, to sort of not weigh in on these petition projects and simply just recommend the plan as proposed without any funding. I think that, that if it feels like the consensus is that additional information would be needed in order for this body to weigh in, um, I think that that would be appropriate, um, and um, and you certainly, if you have comments or thoughts on, on kind of the process of us asking for more detailed site-specific um, information ahead of petition projects, I think that that would be something we could take back and, and, and consider at the staff level for mm -hmm. how we go about soliciting 
applications in the future. I would agree with that because, yeah. I, I mean, just based on conceptual, I don't, you don't, I, mean, I wouldn't know if it's a good what to negotiate return on investment. I don't know. Is that what you're, I mean, is that kind of the direction we're going here? Or? I think it is in a lot of ways. I think it's it's a bit of a paradigm shift because I think yeah. what we've seen, um, and even with countryside, there was an extension of utilities done by the city and right. an understanding of some additional de development to take place that has not come to fruition. Mm -hmm. And there was a, a quite a bit of a capital expenditure out there that had not seen really any development um, like it like it was really planned or thought to, to have happened. And of course, when you look at that on a financing perspective, you have, of course, the city taking on the risk. And if there's no return on investment, you have a liability that's then held by right. all of the tax base right. and the taxpayers. So what we've transitioned to and what you've seen on Waldo Road as well as out on Commerce Drive is these cost sharing agreements where the, the costs are um, fronted by the developer. And then over time, it's reimbursed based off of the payment plan that's established through that agreement um, that the city reimburses them to. What we haven't asked for at that in, in the current kind of understanding is really any detail of what that future development looks like. We have a, a basis of an understanding based off of zoning and, and planning, but there's really no details to it. And what you've seen in, in a lot of different cities that are really looking at more sustainability and resiliency type practices is asking for more of a detailed plan. And that way you can begin to start calculating return on investment if you have a, a million dollar or $300,000 expenditure. And you can point and say, okay, we've got 27 single-family home residential lots that we anticipate to have a median value of X number and a taxable value of X number. You can then begin to sort of um, calculate that return on investment for these utilities. Now, the other thing I should say, too, is that we also have to be mindful that we do have a responsibility to provide public services to private properties. Um, but I think the way in which we do that, we can, can come at it from a bit more of a... Right. Um, investment type of understanding. Right. Yeah. So I have just a question. Um, these uh, these petitions that came in for this additional development, it, d d is that like uh, is that opened up to petitioners to come in? Um, sorry, Josh. Absolutely. That, no, not a problem. Is, um, is that is that something that we you guys go out and petition developers in the area or public notice or something? How does that work? Absolutely. So. Um, Historically, uh, it's been going on for, for many years. Um, in, in October, uh, letters are sent out to, to known developers that have, have done things in the past. Uh, we also post things, we send out notices on, on our website and basically say uh, anybody and everybody that, that has um, something in, but what it needs to be is it needs to be a, a, an infrastructure, a public infrastructure where there is none today. And so it's not, uh, it's, n it's not geared towards, um, like, uh, my road has some potholes, please come fix my road. We accept those um, throughout the course of the year, and in fact, we'll accept petitions, but this is kind of the, the cutoff for, we need to get our process, we're working on a capital plan, and we need to understand what our expenses are going to be from a, a capital, a larger capital investment. Mm -hmm. And so we send that out um, and accept that out in from anyone. So it goes out to a list of, uh, we probably send it out to a list of 30 um, um, people that have, have done something in the past, uh, engineering firms, property owners, land developers. I, I mean, the list is, is wide-ranging, um, and then it also gets posted for the general public as well. So okay. I guess there's someone not on that list. Um, and um, we get a wide variety of responses, but this, these are the two that, that kind of fit that criteria of public infrastructure. <coughs> so what at what point... 
I guess how much time do do they have from the time that that petition, that public notice or whatever, mm -hmm. to the time that you guys determine if it's something that you want to bring in front in front of this body or city so council? So we take any we take any public uh, request. Uh, for the infrastructure, like I said, where there's none today, mm -hmm. uh, we bring all of those forward um, because those were the requests, and so we bring them forward. Um, so they have a month to get that in. It's it's a month long process that we we have to cut it off at some point, basically because we're mm -hmm. finalizing capital plans and, and funding. So we cut it off on the first of November. Uh, we look at those. We get some uh, preliminary cost estimates in there. So we kind of have a scope of what they are. Um, we've, we've spoken with both developers to kind of have an understanding of uh, what they're looking for um, and then um, bring it forward in, in this one. So any of them that, that petition, um, each one of those get brought forward and spoken about individually. Gotcha. And, do, you, do you think it's unrealistic in a month, I mean, to ask a developer to, to have a preliminary drawing? To I mean, if we were going to be the deciding body to move that forward with the capital plan, do you think that that's realistic? Um, I, I believe so. If, yeah. if I understand the question correctly, I think I, I don't think you're asking for a site plan. No. I think you're asking for a, a concept, mm -hmm. and I think any um, I think it would be uh, beneficial or prudent at least if you're going to ask for um, public funding that we understand what your plan, what the plan going forward is. Um, and so on both of these, I think Grant mentioned um, they have some some concept drawings. And, and that really helps from our side. Now, what, what gets presented, I think that's a, as we formulate this process, I think, or reformulate it from what it's been. Uh, in the past, it has been, um, you know, go straight to city council before we had the capital plan. Before we had this process, it went to the cap, uh, city council, and then it was reviewed and, and went from there. Um, but I think that within a month, um, you know, if someone's going to develop, I think they have a plan already kind of formulated, typically. Uh, now, whether that's the, the final plan or whether they reconfigure it to some other thing, I think that yeah. conceptually they could something could be provided. It, and it would just be a change in our notice and it says, please submit, you know, mm -hmm. your concept drawing along with Conceptual. your yeah. with, along with your request. Yeah. I guess that would help me. Yeah. Yeah. Moving forward, so. right? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yep. Thanks. Is that input for next year or? I yeah, I think yeah, it's I think, a little bit late for this. <laughs> 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 right. But yeah, October I mean, I'm comes. saying starting next year, yeah. I would be comfortable moving this forward. You know, with that recommendation, because ultimately City Council is going to look at it anyway and make the determination. So. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Procedurally, we do need a waiver of the rules since we did add the public, I mean, uh, public hearing this, this evening. So if the, it sounds I, I like I move that we waive oh. the rules to consider this tonight. Do I hear a second? Second. <laughs> All those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed, same sign. Okay, we will make a, dis make a determination. So we're now seeking a motion to uh, approve the uh, capital improvement plan and or recommendation to approve the capital approval plan and moving on to the city council? I'll make the motion to um, approve the capital plan as submitted um, with the uh, petitioned projects also as part of the plan. Uh, being not funded? Uh, yeah. They're yes. contained and, and talked yes. about in text, but not funded. Yes. Okay. Yep. yes. Second. All right. Any more discussion? Okay, please call the roll. All right, Bain. Yes. 
Kollinger. Yes. Mayville. Yes. Koble. Yes. Panasic. Yes. And Hind. Yes. Okay. That question is approved 6 0. So this will now move on to City Council for review and approval, correct? That is correct. Okay. Okay. Item number six, old business. We don't have any old business. Uh, item number seven, uh, public comments unrelated to items on the agenda. None. And under item number eight, new business. Chairman, um, <clears throat> the uh, item under new business this evening is a discussion related to the transition area between downtown and midtown. And um, this is a, a set of blocks that we've discussed in, in a little bit of detail, really, in, um, really within the broader context of downtown zoning as well as midtown zoning. And so a bit of the background as to kind of why uh, staff is bringing this in front of you uh, relates uh, to things that started back in the early parts of 2018. Um, you can recall back during the master plan updating process, we hosted an open house in Midtown back in April where we introduced the concept of mixed-use planning. Um, that, of course, was a, a concept, as I alluded to in the staff memo, that was originally met with um, uh, a bit of optimism, um, but as it kind of boiled down a little bit more, a little bit of skepticism, I guess I could, mm -hmm. you would say, and so ultimately um, that was taken out of the plan and, and not um, included. Um, but one of the directives that was given to staff at the... Um, the time of discussing the Midtown neighborhood in the latter parts of the updating process was really to engage with the Midtown neighborhood more and then from that use that to um, introduce different types of policy changes or zoning changes um, as it specifically relates to different areas within um, that portion of, of the city. So one of the areas that was specifically identified um, and was brought to our attention um, by, um, by a resident that's been at not only uh, in front of Planning Commission but on, also in front of City Council to talk about the zoning um, is really these blocks uh, that are between Grove and Indian Street um, and that transition between the Midtown and, and Downtown neighborhoods. Um, this was an area that was discussed in length during the neighborhood design workshop that the city staff hosted back in December. And one of the biggest, or two of the biggest things that came out of that workshop um, was really this concept of wanting to attain the existing housing stock that's within these blocks um, and also allow for new development of new single-family homes um, and missing middle housing types that would match the scale of development that's currently there. There was a lot of concern related to um, having uh, developments that would move in that had large parking lots or um, higher heights of buildings and that would be out mm -hmm. of scale with, with what's currently there. Um, there was also quite a bit of discussion about the prohibition that our current zoning um, has on some of these lots um, when it comes to single-family homes um, primarily. And I'll talk a little bit about that as I, as I go forward in the presentation. But when we look at our zoning map, um, this is probably our busiest area of the city when it comes to zoning. <laughs> um, but I do want to explain what we have going on here and, and draw your attention to a few things. One is, is the blue shade that's the underlying zoning district of OS Office Service. And you can see that that runs um, along the corridor on both sides of Indian, uh, really from Jerome Street, which is M20 here at the top of the page, um, all the way down to the intersections of State, Mill, and, and then Haley Street down here when we get closer to um, the, uh, the Grand Curve and uh, the Greenbelt um, that comes in and out of the city um, 
with uh, Business Route 10. You also have the downtown north side overlay zoning district, which is the hashing that you have here in yellow. And that's a zoning district that starts at Larkin um, and overlays over top of the underlying zoning um, and goes all the way to um, the middle block or the middle part of the part of the block between Indian and Grove and then up to Grove Street as it abuts Grove Park and, and Ashman and Rod and then cuts back down and runs in the center block um, all the way down to State Street here. So it's a, it's a bit busy because you have the hashing of the area that we're talking about. Um, but this is, is the area of the downtown Northside Overlay Zoning District. Um, one other thing, I, one other zoning district I want to point out is our D downtown, which is an underlying zoning district. And I think probably the biggest provision of that downtown zoning district is uh, the uh, re very relaxed policy on parking where you don't have to provide on-site parking. Um, and so uh, office service, downtown Northside overlay, and every other zoning district that you see on this map does have provisions for both parking minimums and, and maximums. But when you look at the use regulations for um, the current zoning districts that apply to the subject properties, and if I go back, uh, when I say subject properties, I mean the hashing that's in black. And so mm -hmm. it's, it's the, um, the properties that are zoned office service as well as the downtown Northside overlay. Um, and just uh, as it gets down to State Mill and, and Haley, that's just the office service district. When we look at the use regulations that apply currently, this is current zoning, um, you have the DNO, which is our form-based code um, that permits a, a wide range of uses surrounding commercial, office, restaurant, public institutional, recreational, as well as residential. Um, so you do have a wide variety of, of, of a mixing of uses that are allowed there. But what you do, what you um, also have is both multifamily dwellings and townhouses that are permitted by right, but you have single family homes and duplexes that are, are not permitted. And the only way to establish them would be to seek a use variance through the city zoning board of appears, uh, appeals. The office service is a Euclidean zoning district, and this is, has no form-based provisions to it. It simply just allows for use in dimensional standards, but it does permit um, uses that are administrative and professional offices, personal services like salons, as well as uh, dwellings that would be above business establishments. And also, um, of note, single-family homes, multifamily dwellings, um, as well as duplexes are only permitted by conditional use permit. And um, that's something that we point out because if there were to be um, a, uh, a damaging of a house through structural fire or other act of God um, to establish a new single family home on that, on that property uh, where one currently exists would take a conditional use permit approval in order to go through there. They wouldn't be able to just build it or rebuild it by right. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> when we look at our dimensional standards for both the DNO and the office service, um, as I mentioned, both parking minimums and maximums are required. Uh, we have our form base of the zero to 10 foot setback front yard for the DNO. When it comes to office service, that increases up to a whopping 25 foot setback. Um, you have the special setbacks um, for side yards when it's adjacent to residential for the DNO that also applies for office service. Um, but of specific mention is, is really when we start to think about scale of new developments and how that relates to existing single family homes or multifamily dwelling units. We have a maximum height of, in the DNO of 76 feet and a minimum of a two stories um, or 25 feet. When it comes to office service, you actually have a maximum height of 28 feet as well. So what you might be asking yourself is, okay, if someone were to come in and build a new development, what standards would apply when you have conflicting um, um, ordinances in place? And 
really what, what goes into place at that time is not necessarily an application of just the most restrictive. Um, you would take into consideration really what the intent of those two districts are and, and, and primarily cater a lot to the, the overlay districts since that's really prescribing what the, the master plan is, is really envisioning for that area. So mm -hmm. um, an example of that would be um, the block of the Pathfinder Commons over here. Um, that apply, that the form base of the zero to 10 foot setback applies. Um, and so you have really the downtown north side over there that allows for those uses of those townhouses there. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, but since you have office service and you have the DNO, you still have, of course, the, the sea of asphalt in between that meets the parking minimums um, for, that, for that development. <clears throat> One of the other maps that I put within the, the staff report is um, an audit of the current uses that are out there. And the color coding, I tried to be, um, different than our zoning and our master plan because this is this is just current land use and so when you see and you look at these blocks um, it's primarily residential use and within the residential use there's a handful of multifamily but by and large it is single family that's that's stretched through here in the brown shades you do have areas that are vacant um, where maybe houses previously existed and are being prepared for redevelopment purposes so that's what you have here in green um, and then the blue shades are offices. And so within the, spe the, the, the subject area of the hashing, you do have primarily residential and vacant, and you do have some blue, which is the office um, here at the corner of like Ashman and Grove. And then when you get closer down to Indian and Townsend as well as Rod, and then further down um, at Mill and, and uh, Indian too. I did want to real quick jump into Google Street View because I think it'd be valuable to show really sort of the transect of, of this area. So we're here on, on the, uh, this is actually from July of this last year, so very recently, but we're um, in a time of less snow. Um, but uh, coming in off the ground curve, we're heading towards the northeast. Um, you do get to the intersection of Haley. And it does really take you through um, some residential uses. You have then the first office. You get further along for some additional residential multifamily properties that are currently vacant and prepared for redevelopment purposes. You have um, Affordable Housing Alliance, Grove Street Commons that fronts and some additional property that's prepared for redevelopment. Um, you then further get down, or get down further to, I believe we're at the intersection of George, and um, you have some additional office, but then further down is, is more vacant property, some office. And um, at Townsend, you have um, the uh, Junior Achievement Building uh, that fronts right onto Indian with um, residential that's behind it. And then further down, um, right at the intersection of Rod and Indian, you have some additional single family homes and more single-family homes and multifamily that are on McDonald, and then further down, um, it continues single-family homes um, with some additional properties prepared for redevelopment right here at the intersection of Ashman and, um, and Indian as well. So when you look at the transect, um, really what we've seen is a lot of development that's been on the interior to the left of, of Indian, um, within the interior of Indian and Buttles, but we haven't seen a lot of development um, when, it, when it comes back to the other side of Indian. Um, a lot of kind of the comments that staff has received is really, um, if I can get back into my presentation, 
is really kind of this understanding of, of the barrier of Indian and, and Buttles and what that per, mm -hmm. uh, creates for any type of mixed use development. Um, we've heard, and these are anecdotes, and so I don't want to present them as, as anything more than that, but um, the intersection of George and Indian being sort of miles away from the activity of Main Street. And if you're there and you're outside of your vehicle, you really do feel like you're um, substantially removed from where any type of pedestrian or bicycle activity is happening. Um, and, and certainly the business activities that front on, on Ellsworth or uh, further down onto, um, onto Main Street itself. And so um, as part of that, I think there's there's kind of been a realization that, that staff has had, especially through engagement with the public, that there may be uh, modifications that could be could be needed for um, the planning through here and really what what's marketable or what's even a potential type of future land use for some of these areas. When we look at the master plan, uh, I do want to talk a little bit about this because I think we have to be mindful of the mandate that the master plan provides and, and what you see highlighted here in blue is this downtown district that was expanded quite substantially back in 2006 when the master plan was, was um, last updated in a comprehensive manner. And so you have this, this, uh, this really this policy of the city that expanded and, and really modernized a more, um, uh, just a wider downtown that includes these blocks that front on to Indian and then further down to, um, to Grove Park and, and around intersections of, of Ashman and Rod and McDonald. When we look at the downtown future land use, and, and really this is kind of the, the question that gets at the question of if we were to think about zoning changes, do we have a master plan that would allow for, for zoning changes there, or do we have what's currently on the books, what's really envisioned as part of the master plan? And so the text that comes out of the future land use discussion for downtown uh, really points at um, goals of expanding and enhancing the vibrancy of downtown by adding density, mixed-use developments, and expanding to incorporate the ballpark area. Uh, the boundaries of this designation provide flexibility for a healthy variety of uses, including mixed-use buildings and development without identifying specific properties for each different residential, commercial office, um, or civic use. It then goes on to say that the goal of downtown, as well as the multi-use center, is to jointly provide for a wide range of density and complementary land uses as well. So with that, staff is looking at some potential options and, and wanted to present this for discussion this evening. And that is this, this concept of missing middle housing and how that could be better incorporated into uh, these blocks that do uh, transition from downtown, which is a, uh, being envisioned and, and starting to take on a very high density, um, and midtown, which is a much more lower residential oriented type of neighborhood. But missing middle housing really is, is the concept of allowing for single family homes that coexist upwards with developments of maybe six or eight dwelling units. Um, it has modernization of parking requirements, which means greatly reducing minimums, um, introducing things like tandem parking, which is where you actually park in tandem, maybe within a garage or on a, on a surface level parking lot where the car and the inside is technically um, boxed in but yet you're more than likely to know the owner of the back car mm -hmm. and so you can do the shuffle and it's something mm -hmm. that most residential homes have in the older, older, older parts of the city um, but it's not currently allowed by ordinance for new developments. Um, reduction of landscaping requirements and modification of special standards for residential uses um, that come out of 9.03 and I want to draw your attention to that because some of the I think barriers to multifamily um, or missing middle housing, certainly within the city's ordinance is 9.3 
And this is where we introduce provisions for minimum lot area per dwelling unit. So we say, if you're gonna have an efficiency unit that's a townhouse or an efficiency unit in a five-story building, you have to have a certain um, square footage for um, lot area in order to allow that. So effectively what we're saying is, <clears throat> you need to have an additional amount of green space for the, the density that you're adding on to your site. Um, we have uh, minimum floor areas for dwelling units. And I think if you take a look at us, we're certainly not um, down to like San Francisco levels of efficiency dwelling units or what's allowable mm -hmm. there. And I think we're pretty on par with, with where missing middle housing is looking for efficiency units down to 360 square feet, um, one bedrooms to 500 square feet. And these are fairly um, middle of the road when it comes to square footage sizes for dwelling units. We then introduce provisions for building spacing where we prescribe um, any multiple buildings that would be on a site, how far they have to be for one, from one another. And if you're looking at posted stamp lots in more of a traditional downtown style of development and you're wanting to maybe do an accessory dwelling unit with a single family home, you all of a sudden have upwards of 40 um, feet of spacing that's required mm. between buildings. Um, and then we go on to prescribing um, street dimensions, sidewalk widths, and additional parking that's required for um, for guests and, and other supplements. <clears throat> and really, if I were to kind of provide maybe a critique of these policies in the context of missing middle housing, I think what we have is certainly provisions that establish um, courtyard developments like Joseph's Run or Robin Oaks or Mulberry or those types of style. They do that very well. Um, but if you then try and do it in a, a very urban setting like our like Midtown, mm -hmm. you run into all sorts of issues and a litany or a, a long list of variances in order to get um, something that currently exists uh, to be able to be legal if you wanted to recreate that. So, um, so that's something when I, when I mean modification to those special standards, that would be options that we could take a look at. If you wanted to introduce um, things that would also address scale, you would then start to look at form-based provisions which would allow for um, uh, setback distances to match existing developments as well as limits on height, um, reduction of that, that um, 70 some um, height to maybe something down closer to 40 or even 30 feet in height. Um, and then if we were to look a little bit more about kind of the intent of mixing of uses as well as what some um, uses currently exist, um, we could take a look at things like live work units where you actually have um, spaces that allow for someone to um, live above maybe their artist studio, um, but be able to mix um, small scale type of uses in that regard as, as well as offices mm -hmm. that would be very compatible with existing residential homes. <clears throat> So with that, I guess um, I've kind of blown through this and I know it's, it, it, hopefully I'm, you're sensing a little bit of a theme of, of discussion that we've had over a number of months. And this is really trying to get down to kind of where the rubber meets the road, if you will, and start to implement that on a policy level. And so um, the next steps of this would be to really provide for a general discussion of these concepts tonight. Um, if there's modification to the area in consideration, staff would certainly welcome um, that type of feedback. Um, and then ultimately what we'd be looking for would be some type of di uh, direction given to us um, that could be, uh, no, we think this is, this is A-okay, we think we're on point with where things need to be, or um, we agree that there may be some changes needed, and as part of that, we would like you to start preparing um, what would be initiated uh, as a text and map amendment to the city's zoning ordinance. And with that, what we would 
likely look is probably not jump right into scheduling a public hearing with new zoning language, but rather bring back more specific discussion points, um, have that be discussed, and then once come to a broad consensus, then initiate scheduling of a public hearing and moving forward that way. Mm -hmm. All right, Chairman, that's the last thing I have on this, so I'll introduce any questions. Questions for, yes. Uh, just for my context, that Grove Street Commons, mm -hmm. was that brought in with variances or, or was that brought in under a formal, you know, zoning and constructs or does that give us any guidance or not? So that was done back in uh, the early 90s, or sorry, the late 90s. So I believe it, it, it was a different zoning district. It certainly wasn't the downtown Northside overlay. Okay. And um, and it's property that's actually split zoned, if I can find it, right here at State. You actually have a split zoning of office service fronting Indian and then RB multifamily fronting Grove. So um, I don't know off the top of my head what specific provisions or if they had to go through a special use permit or conditional use permit at the time. Um, but that, but we could do that a borders on, that. on a missing middle development, doesn't it? I mean, I know it's a special, you know, subsidized kind Correct. of thing and all that, but but that is kind of an example of a missing middle kind of housing it complex. It is. Right? Yeah, I think it would be a, a very good um, look. It's got modest parking on site and um, and certainly setbacks that match surrounding um, and scale. It certainly fits within within that neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, uh, we had um, in the past year a discussion around uh, a midtown area, mm -hmm. and I know this uh, the downtown district, the downtown north side overlay, kind of extends past Indian, and I don't know where midtown is exactly, and sure. those that are on the side of Indian in your black cross hatched area, do they think they're in downtown or in Midtown? <laughs> right. And where would Midtown go to? And you sure, know, we talked so, about the multi, I'm gonna couple more things. We talked yeah. about the multi-use center. How would that fit in overall mm -hmm. with the concept of the missing middle potentially for that uh, black cross hatched area? That's, sure on that side of uh, Indian, you know, all of that together, I think we need to have a look at what is the extent of Midtown, sure. uh, potentially, and no, and those that, that's questions. A, yeah, that's a very good point. So the, the multi-use was actually um, an area that was being applied to properties that were currently zoned for um, commercial purposes or industrial purposes. So it, would, it was an area that was this NC block, the pink regional commercial, and then the purple IA industrial, um, and a little bit farther off the page up Ashman Street is, is where um, that multi-use center was being applied. Um, and that is, in a lot of ways, kind of the heart of Midtown. I know we've talked about this. Midtown doesn't have formal, um, formal mm -hmm. boundaries. Um, I think what, if I could talk a little bit about why this hashed area, I think it's more of a, we've had a, a, speci a very specific comment that's come in regarding the, these, these blocks and that transition. So I think it, it's a matter of being able to deal with some of those concerns. Um, but I think it's also, if we think about it, a way in which we, we might be able to pilot a different zoning district that could ultimately start to apply to some of these other areas. And I didn't do an audit to really present tonight of RB multifamily, um, but believe it or not, multifamily RB, and I think probably 
most of you know this, um, all of you probably know, um, but single family homes aren't permitted in RB either. And so right. there's a number of single family homes through here. And if they were, if they wanted to um, be reconstructed, it would require <laughs> conditional use to go through there too. So, so if we were to start thinking that, that missing middle housing really is more um, appropriate for a, a lot of these areas, um, I think that that would be appropriate. Um, but because this is a new concept, I guess I'd be very cautious that we don't bite off more than we can chew, if you will. Okay. Um, it might be more uh, um, valuable or not valuable, but it might be better for us to sort of pilot it and then think about expanding it. Yeah, future. I was just thinking for that whole area, you know, I don't know, in my mind, maybe I'm wrong, but that's kind of the midtown area from Indian over. And, you know, the mixed use along with mi missing middle for that area to have really a planning discussion around all of that. Maybe that's too much to bite off right now, but that's what I'm thinking for the master plan updates. Absolutely, and that's certainly, I think, a discussion we'd love to entertain in a master plan update, a more bro a broader discussion of that. And um, and so, yes, yeah, so I would be very much of the same thought that that's something that we should ultimately head towards. Um, but doing all of that now, I don't think we quite have the mandate in the current master plan. Um, but, but yes, no, that would, I think, and, and really to speak to, to what we heard at the input session in de December was really an, an interest of wanting to do, um, keeping scale the same throughout this area. Um, I think we have quite a bit more, or I shouldn't say quite a bit more, but at least a little bit more of discussion about the regional commercial and the IA industrial and starting to think about what future uses of that could be, um, um, or, I think it might even be better for staff to start to present sort of uh, more specific examples as to why um, current developments like SIDS, party store that sits very close to the street, how that's functionally illegal under current ordinance requirements. So I think a little bit more presentation <laughs> right. in that yeah. way could get um, the wheels turning to think a little bit differently. But about right that. now so, you're looking at just this one bite of the elephant. Yes, I think that'd be appropriate to say. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. yep. mm -hmm. I think the proverb is you move a mountain, small stone at a time. I think that's mm -hmm. the, no. yeah. <laughs> I didn't come prepared with a proverb. I just right. picked that out. Enough. Okay, all right, good. <laughs> Other questions for Grant? Okay, thank you very much. Did you? So did you get what you were looking for? Well, not yet. <laughs> not quite, I think. Um, okay. And get Mike back up, yeah. So I think, um, Chairman, I think at the, at now at the, uh, it would be appropriate to kind of think about if, if this feels like a, an, a sort of a bite of the elephant, I guess, to use right. that, that language. If this feels right, I think we could um, move forward. Staff would certainly be prepared to move forward and start preparing more of a specific ordinance language um, that could be discussed in further detail and then from that um, be able to start a text amendment and map amendment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think we should take a look at something here. But how does missing middle fit for all of that when some of it is office currently? Uh, does that fit in there, or are you just talking a couple of blocks? It looked like you were talking the whole uh, cross-hatched area in black. Correct. So, And that's that's kind of a, a thought I had as well, is, is really um, applying a, a generic missing middle district I don't think would be appropriate. And that was sort of the thoughts of, are there ways we could allow for maybe the live work units as well as offices still within this district but still um, retain the primarily residential use side um, but still accommodate 
those offices that are so still really there. a general flexible area yes it'd be yeah. kind of a hybrid i guess is what i'm mm -hmm. imagining in my mind yeah. um or the the alternative would be to leave some of these areas that are currently office service zoning to to not do a zoning amendment on those properties well, too it's kind of a mixed <laughs> use but it, it seems like you want to be a slightly smaller scale in downtown though right i think that's the con the concept <coughs> and and sort of what we're kind of <laughs> gathering as we go along this is really a, a, a desire to step down um, as yeah. you leave to downtown and you get to the Indian and Buttles corridor, you then begin to step down into the neighborhood that's more um, family-oriented. That's more a yeah. Is it, and is it missing middle housing district. or is it mixed use for? <laughs> I or think is it both. It could well could be. There's how you could have housing also in a mixed use area. Absolutely, it's just a different definition for it mixed is. use. It is. Uh, yeah, I think it, if it it's probably more mixed use would be a more appropriate name for it with heavy mm -hmm. elements of missing middle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, to your point, I mean, I, I think of missing middle and I think of mixed use in my mind, are, uh, the label I apply is concepts. And I think um, what we're seeing here is the need to create a different or new zoning district that's influenced mm -hmm. by some of these concepts. So that's the framework that I'm looking at it from right now. Mm -hmm. And with that look where it sounds like that would not be part of the downtown north overlay then with changes is that we would probably taper that back to indian okay. yeah mm -hmm. yep because mm -hmm. that's when i look at this area and having gone to the public input session i mean i think we're all clearly aware that that whole area from downtown upwards is transitioning um, and i think we've through experience kind of uh, hit on what that transition point is <laughs> um, we know where that pain point is at this point um, and we need to figure out a way how to how to fix that pain point. And I like how Grant articulated just now of, we know where that pain point is, and it sounds like the best path forward at this point is to find some way to better transition down from where we see the development in downtown to what we see in the neighborhood just on the other side of it. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm all for taking a look at it like this. And uh, does this coincide with your really preliminary concepts right now, Grant, with the input you received from the public at that session in December? Absolutely. I think okay. that that really did cement sort of our mm -hmm. thoughts of, of the importance of maintaining the scale that's there. Um, one of the things we did at the beginning was asset mapping, and there was quite a few tables, I think a, a handful of tables that came back and they said, you know, some of our best assets in this neighborhood are the family homes um, that currently exist and the people that live within those homes. And so that came back to us and we thought, okay, well, if we're going to continue to allow for that type of lifestyle or foster that type of um, environment we need to allow for um, single-family homes again or the other yeah. missing middle housing types so I do think um, that's a kind of a long answer to to your question <laughs> but I do think that this yeah. matches well that, that was also reflected in uh, the Grove Park planning session is they did you know they wanted more in, in the nature of a neighborhood park rather than a destination venue right mm -hmm. at least that's the impression mm -hmm. I got uh, absolutely. And I, so I, there uh, is yeah. the element of a neighborhood scale as opposed to a, you know, regional mm -hmm. attraction. Hub. Sure. Yeah. No, that's that's very true. I think, um, yeah, that was that was a big part of that discussion, and also the importance of just retaining that green space. Mm -hmm. So you're talking uh, future land use map changes along with zoning changes. 
This would just this be this would just be zoning that we would take. Just zoning. Mm -hmm. Okay. And do the uh, property owners have to uh, all agree to the zoning changes? How does that work? <coughs> so, in, in short answer, no. Um, but what we'd want to do would be provide notice um, for input opportunities for them to come in and, and to have that discussion. Um, I guess I'd think of this similar to when we introduced the Center City Overlay District. Um, we worked actually through the Center City Authority to really um, dive down and, and make sure that there weren't any concerns or that we worked through those concerns at that time. Um, and then when we did apply it, it was an action that city that the city took without having to get um, the, the sign off from everyone. So it'd be similar to that. Um, so we'd work with the Midtown Neighborhood Association and um, as well as the mailing list that we have for these areas to, to get information out to these folks. Um, okay. To know that that'd be mm -hmm. a potential. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Bef before we uh, we finish this topic, if uh, if the public would like to speak to us tonight, we we'd welcome that. Jen Vandy Zandy, five hundred nine Rod. Um, I do think, I just want to state again on record um, that I do think that the transition from downtown actually begins at Indian um, and that we are part of Midtown. Um, and I know that I'm the only one here tonight, but a lot of my neighbors work, um, some of them a couple of jobs. Um, and I know that for the people who own their properties, they feel uh, the same as we do about wanting residential moved back in. It's very hard to exist kind of in this place where we don't know um, what's going to be happening. So the house behind our house, um, which is a multi, has multi-residences in it, was up for sale. And the day we discovered it was when we were leaving to head to Lansing for my daughter's graduation. And we just happened to turn down McDonald and saw it was for sale and we just all of us gasped, <laughs> and it just was a cloud um, because we didn't know what would happen because if that sold with the zoning that's there right now. Residential, you know, could easily just be gone. And um, so we wonder about our futures and about what our neighborhood will look like. Um, I just really appreciate everybody taking the time to hear what we have to say and to consider kind of the history that's there and the way that we're looking at it um, in that neighborhood, because it really is a neighborhood that I do think having lived there for this long is on the upswing and it's starting to become, you know, what we had envisioned. I had thought when I bought the house, you know, I wanted to live close to the downtown, um, mm -hmm. but definitely didn't want <laughs> commercial in my backyard. Yeah. So, um, I really do appreciate all of your time. And if you have any questions, I think you all know where I live. So <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. thank you. So the consensus of the commission is we have them move forward. And I think we just heard urgency. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, that is true, yes. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. No. 
And I, I think, I don't know if you need a formal motion or anything I formal. I don't think so, a, no. I think it's Just a direction. That, correct. Yeah, yep. we definitely, we don't want to let this rest until we redo the master plan. This is something we, we would like to work on, bring concepts back when, mm -hmm. when you guys have time and are ready for it. And let's begin that discussion about what should this look like and how do we incorporate uh, the existing uses and give certainty to the people who are dealing with their properties and you know transition from one generation to another, et cetera. Yep, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, okay, All is right. that sufficient? That is sufficient. It, Commissioner, is there anything else you want, directions you want to give him before <laughs> we leave this topic? Well, I, I like the concept of, you know, Indian as being the barrier kind of now you know, between yep. downtown and where the other stuff may start. Yep. Okay. Now, moving on to communications, we got a couple of things to deal with. Are we at our service? We've got a uh, planning news and a Michi Michigan planner. So we got a couple of things for our reading. I have no report. Uh, Yes, I do have one, and this may actually kind of trail into the next item, too, for our, our next meeting on February 12th, but City Council did approve uh, the zoning petitions for both the intersection um, northwest of J uh, James Savage and Waldo Avenue, um, as well as uh, property up at Oak Brook and Jefferson Avenue. Okay. And so um, that property actually is going to be the subject of a, a site plan um, for expansion of Bickford Senior Living that was submitted to us this last week, so we'll have that on our um, um, we have it tentatively planned. We have to still do a, some uh, initial review, but it's likely will be on the agenda for February 12th. Um, we also received a site condo for property um, behind Primrose out on Waldo Avenue on the north side of Waldo, um, a rather large single-family home site condominium known as Waldo Farms, so that'll be coming forward um, likely on February 12th. We did also receive site condominium for Winding Creek um, Estates, number three, and that's on Perrin and just north of Letts, Winding Creek, um, kind of by the one petitioner project, but on the other side of Sturgeon Creek um, for an additional, kind of the last uh, phase of, of Winding Creek subdivision for there. Um, and so those are our three items um, that we'll have for the February 12th meeting um, in um, most likely. And then the last thing I do want to um, bring to your attention is actually February 18th. It's a Monday night, and um, 6 o'clock we've scheduled a joint meeting with City Council. It's a special meeting, but it'd be a joint meeting with City Council, uh, this body, Planning Commission, the Zoning Board of Appeals, the Downtown Development Authority, as well as the Center City Development Authority, or the Center City Authority Board, um, for the purposes of really having a broad discussion about overall uh, development policies and initiatives um, that apply throughout the city. So uh, this is actually a requirement that's coming through the Redevelopment Ready Community Program that we're participating in through the MEDC. And so um, I just wanted to get um, that, all of you a heads up and we'll be sending out email correspondence tomorrow on that with a, a meeting invite. Okay. Um, but that'll be, it'll be about a 45 minute meeting uh, ahead of the city council meeting that evening that starts at seven. So um, it's the first time we've ever brought all these boards together and we're still, uh, staff is still kind of conceptualizing what really this is going to look like. Um, but I think it's something we're likely going to institute annually um, and I think cross-communication amongst all of these boards, um, especially with just the amount of activity that's happening right now in the city, um, is going to be valuable. So um, 
6 o'clock on February 18th. 6 o'clock on February 18th. That'll be right in this room. Okay. Mm -hmm. How many people is that? Yeah, that's a large discussion. It is a large discussion. So it's probably going to be about um, 35 people when it's all said and done. Um, if everyone attends now, mm -hmm. I don't know if everyone will be able to, but, um, but it'll be probably a majority will be a staff presentation um, of information and then some time for um, a bit of discussion. Okay. All right. And Chairman, that's actually the last thing I had for both items 11 and 12. Four, five, 11. And then there's 13. I move we adjourn. <laughs> <laughs> Do I hear a second? second? All those in favor say aye. Aye. Meeting is adjourned. This program is presented by the MCTV Network, a service of the City of Midland, Michigan. This presentation coincides with programming on Midland Government Television, covering government affairs in the City of Midland.